Yeah, let's go. Okay. Get excited. We got the legendary Al Santillo of Santillo's Pizzeria Bakery Place in Elizabeth, New Jersey. They got like a 110-year-old oven. Al is a legend in the industry, a Elizabeth, New Jersey native, and one of our favorite people in the world. And it's great to have you on, Al. How thank, are you? Thank Good you, to man. see you, buddy. Glad I made it over I'm, here. I'm, I'm glad you made it to Brooklyn, too. So... <laughs> <laughs> so uh am i how old's the oven over at your pizzeria uh, about 120 120 years old and you were telling me stories about it you said yeah. that uh they had to like cut the bricks with their hand you want to talk about it a little bit yeah, well, tell I'll, me about I'll, the oven i'll tell you the oven is the greatest thing in the world it's still state-of-the-art the oven when they built this oven it's just in the ceiling alone over 5,000 bricks. Wow. Every brick is turned this way. Okay. So when you take, you need nine and a half bricks just to make one little square foot of ceiling. Jesus. Yeah. That's great. And it's like a vaulted ceiling too. It's, it's vaulted. not flat. It's, it's like a true Roman arch. There's no mortar in there holding it. No mortar. No mortar. Just the bricks hold themselves up like mm -hmm. a Roman arch. And um, what else is I got to tell you? It's a low arch. It's supposed to be the perfect dimensions for an oven. You can, certain brick ovens that you can still get them with like a high dome ceiling. Mm -hmm. But this one's supposed to be better. The ceiling is only about this high in there. Right, right, right. But with the, with the, with the, um, all those bricks in the ceiling, that's how it holds the heat. People don't understand this. I heat up the oven, and then I get rid of the heat source. Mm -hmm. Then I just cooked off the retained heat of the bricks. And I could cook for a long, long time like that, hours and hours. It actually does make uh, it does make perfect sense because uh, I've been doing a lot of studying on ovens lately, and um, you know the thermal mass of your oven must be uh, you know completely out of control. Why? Why am I sounding weird all of a sudden? What'd you change? Change something, Brady? Feedback. Trying to make his audio sound good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it's important, of, right? I'm hearing a lot of feedback. A lot of feedback. Yeah, I'm all of a sudden, I'm like loud. There you go, Brady. Anyway. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, thermal mass is like a really important thing. With, and I never understood this. I just yeah. started looking it up recently. But the thermal mass of your oven must be like out of fucking order. We should get like uh, one of these scientist-y engineering yeah. guys down there and be like, hey, hey, guy, do me a favor over here. Like, just go measure the thermal mass for me, why don't you? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it's unbelievable. When And when you talk about green, everything's green environmental. Uh -huh. Once you heat it up, you could turn the the, the, the heat source off. I, I, it was called, I converted it over to gas. Once that thing is hot, you don't really, not really using that much fuel for how big it is because it holds the heat. Right. So instead of all the heat going up into the atmosphere like a normal oven, the heat goes in and up the chimney, in and up the chimney. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely see that. Yeah. So what's like the, the history of Santillo's? Did your family start this place? The number? How did that go? What, uh, what was this place 120 years ago? Okay, when they built the place, my family was only the second owners of the building. So the first owner, the guy's name was Paul Poth. He was a German baker. Okay. So when I was a kid, all the equipment was still there that my father bought off the first guy. So we were still using some of that, but I was always in love with like the old-fashioned way of doing everything. Cause I was always taught 
that the quality was better. Right. And and I and then after doing it, you see that the quality's better. And what they were doing back then, they wanted things crustier. A lot, a lot of times they have a better crust. You'd have a better bake all the way through. And then it would give you better flavor and better texture. And you're getting a better finished product. He had these certain pans. You could still get them if you look for them, maybe used. But you made a round bread, like a cylinder. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom was a cylinder, and then the top was a cylinder, and you, it was about this big, and you closed it, and you latched it down. And, and, th- and then the bread rose up inside there. When it fi- finished Inside the, the pan? Yeah, but oh. it was the pan on the top and the bottom. Yeah, that sounds a lot like Dutch oven cooking. That's what, like, a lot of these sourdough guys, they'll take, like, a Dutch oven, and they'll put it in. You, you ever see that? Yeah, I see what they do. But this is a different type of a pan. Mm-hmm. When the bread comes out, it's about this big. It looks like a cylinder. Okay. And with all little grooves on it. Right. They but used to sell bread like that in a supermarket years ago, and it would put butter on there. Oh, it was out of this world. So so you're saying uh, there was a German baker that built the oven in, yeah. in what, 1900? Between 1900 and 1920. Nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows for sure. No, because nobody's left. I mean, I, I was looking into... Like the yellow pages from 1940 was already there in 1940. So, okay. and then the the when the building was built, they built the building, but nobody knows exactly the date, you know. But we know the neighborhood, like the building next door was built in 1909. This looks like it goes with that building. Looks like right. it's the same piece. When you go to my pizzeria, the building to the left, if you look at look down, they look like this built the same way. Got it, got it. So so then what happened? Like your father took it over okay, or your what grandfather or what was it? My grandfather came here in 1912. Mm-hmm. Then he was working for this baker, baker named Novello. Okay. Novello, when you went in his bakery, he had all certificates hanging on the wall. He had went to school for that over in Italy. Mm-hmm. So when he came over here, a lot of the young guys, he taught them how to make all that stuff. So Novello taught them... And then they kind of they went around and they opened up their own places. And where was this guy Novello? Well, there's an Italian part of town in Elizabeth called Peterstown or the Burg. So mm-hmm. he was on, say, 312 Center Street. And my grandfather wound up buying that piece of property off him. And it was the coolest thing because the, the bakery was right here. And on the right on this corner was the Catholic Church. And right across the street, he had like one of those things, like a little farm stand. And when the people came out of the church, he would have the bread right there ready to sell them off the little farms there. Oh, nice, yeah. That, that kind of sounds like today how a lot of guys are making bread over at the uh, the farmer's markets and stuff. So you're saying your grandfather worked for this guy, Novello, and then he bought the building from him? Yeah, Is yeah, that correct? Right. And then he started baking his own bread? I don't know if he bought the building. I know he bought the business. Okay. And then he had his own building built. I don't know if you remember know much about Elizabeth. There's a I don't know nothing about oh, Elizabeth. Okay. Teach me. Okay. There's a famous place there been since 1915 on a corner of 4th Ave and, and High Street, the Cosmos Italian Ice. They're like world famous. And they're still there? Yeah. They're, and then he's Yeah, talking to the mic over here. He's on this corner and Santillo's on this corner. So it was predominantly like 90% Italian. So they, right. they didn't. 
You didn't really need a car back then. People don't understand how people lived back then when they said these old pictures of New York. Nobody had a car 100 years ago. They walked or they took the trolley car. Right, so, yeah. They used to have those street cars back yeah. in the day. And my grandfather, he started, he didn't even have a vehicle. He had a horse and buggy. They really? still had horse and buggies back then. You didn't have a car. You had to get a horse and buggy for $2. So he was running this bakery, and they were predominantly like cooking bread. Yeah, he he only did bread, and then my father went away to World War II, and my father came back in 1944, and he came back, and his father was making pizza. So whatever happened, my father never saw pizza before that in his life. Okay. And, and that I always I asked my father, what is this tomato pie about? Because even on our billhead it says, Ta- crispy Italian bread, Italian tomato pie, and that was from his father that had it in the fifties. They called it tomato pie back then. Wait, say that one more time. Tacras? Is that crispy Italian bread? Okay. And tomato pie. Okay. You still got a lot of feedback. It's getting worse. Yeah. Can you turn that <laughs> down a little bit? Thanks. That was blowing my, blowing my head out. Turn it down a little. Well, do you, you uh, do you want him to talk closer to the mic like yeah, a fest of wine? Yeah, like just bring it a fest of wine. It's all, all right. good. Um, okay, so anyway, so, let me just finish. Yeah, 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 got it. So he said to me, when he was young, the Italians called the pizza con pomodoro. They didn't even call it tomato pie. It was pizza con pomodoro, which is pizza with tomato. Mm-hmm. So then the tally, the translation was pizza pizza pie or tomato pie. Okay. So pizza pie or tomato pie. So yeah. that's when he came back from World War II and yeah. that's when he started cooking. And this is not in the same location as Santillo's is. This is at your my grandfather's bakery. My grandfather died in 1957. My uh-huh. father opened up. My grandfather died in 59. My, my father started at this location where I'm at now in 57. So for a couple of years, there was two Santillo's in Elizabeth. Mm. Then my grandfather died. He was just almost 65. So I'm going to be almost that old. They had a lot harder back then, those guys. Right. So he worked. He was done by 65. And he worked almost to the day he died. He died of leukemia. So but he worked up to about two weeks before he died. And whatever, I, he died in 59. So I grew up. They were still talking about him every day like he was going to come back. Come back. Right, right, and right. And they told me the story. They cut his head over here to let the cancer drip out of his head. That's the only thing. They had no treatment at all. And he used to walk around with a napkin and dab the cancer that was dripping out of his head. That's that's crazy. Tough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he yeah. was going to work. And this is, how, this is how tough they were. He did three pails in the morning, two in the afternoon. Three pails in the morning, two in the afternoon. So now you have to translate what that means. Every pail of water, he got 50 loaves of bread. Mm-hmm. So he made 150 loaves of bread in the morning. When he was done with that, he made another 100 loaves of bread. Then when he was done with that, he'd make another pail for that night, and that's what he'd make all his pizzas out of. Back then, they only made one size pizza. I might go back to that before I'm done. He had one size pizza, a 14-inch round pie. That was it. You wanted more pizza? Buy two or three of them. None of this a bigger pie and a smaller pie. Don't make no sense. Make one size, buy more of them. 
So so when when Santillo's open was there was there other pizzerias in uh There in was Elizabeth? maybe only about two or three other pizzerias. We, my father always was proud to say Santillo's was the first pizzeria in Elizabeth to deliver mm -hmm. and the first pizzeria in Elizabeth to use heating equipment. He was like an inventor. So those bricks that are in the oven, he had like a wooden box made like a big wooden milk box and he put the bricks in there from the oven that were hot. And then he would put the pizza in there and put it and he had like a truck and he would deliver it in it. Oh, that sounds that sounds awesome. Yeah. And were there when did you start seeing like the gas ovens? Like the the well, you they know, were the blodges? Around all, all my life. They had already been invented like when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, so there were places that were doing always, that. They always felt like they weren't gonna give up with the brick oven because that what America was supposed to get. They felt like if they could charge enough and they could make enough, and the people would see how good the quality is. They would pay more, and they would have their niche with those. Well, brick ovens. yeah, of course. I mean, even today, if you if you have access to like a giant brick oven, um, you know what I'm saying. You're obviously going to take that over. You well, know no, I mean? because there's that's you have to have a guy that's specially trained to do that oven. Like, see what I'm doing with that oven. Nobody could come and do what I'm doing because I made it so complicated already. Cause, and how much I could put in there at one time. Like, I could put 35 pies or 30 in there at one time and juggle them all and get them all out in time. But if you just took an average guy working at a pizza place, he can't do that. Right. I mean, like, maybe you, you could train him, but nobody wants to work. That's the problem. That's real hard work. Now, you're trying to make, um, like, word i'm looking for like premium product you're trying to make a premium product that's sure. why i'm proud you're trying to make a premium but nationwide the the money is in mass producing cheap products and selling them for less this is what the country went to right even if you try to make it a little better and try to sell it for even a dollar or two more that they these big corporations know that they're going to undersell you and the people are going to like the cheaper price even though the, stu the stuff's no good they'll buy it 10 times because it's ten dollars then go to get yours that's 20 that's better not saying you can't it's not a niche for you but you're never going to have five thousand locations right but right. at the same it. time like the country's definitely changing like as far as like wanting quality i mean now you have bakeries that are popping up all over the place that are selling ten dollar loaves of bread and they're selling out every single day you know what i'm saying all around you know from san francisco to la to new york i to don't new know Jersey. how many of them there really are you know what i mean i hear about it well they're new well they're all yeah. they're all within the past you know most of them are within the past 10 years and now there's uh, a real explosion right now because all these people learned how to make sourdough bread well, you know during the pandemic and uh you know now they're all well i wish them all a lot of luck but i'm just gonna tell you that it's hard to beat the mass-produced product. Here's here's how the, the country went. You could go. I mean, I've been following this all my life. This was mm -hmm. happening since I was a kid already. But as far as what the it already happened with the bread, even though you're saying like this and that. Well, that's all new. Yeah. No, I understand yeah. exactly. Like in the fifties, like yeah. it was a absolutely everything was going towards um, cheaper, faster, cheaper. You yeah. know, more convenient. Yeah. And whatever that meant, those were the things that went in. All I'm saying is now you're seeing like a little bit of a shift where, you know, you're seeing um, guys, whether it's true or not, but they're claiming, you know, yeah. the guys that are expanded claiming to be quality. They're yeah. claiming to be behind. 
you know, yada, yada, yada. And I mean, if you were, think about telling a guy that a loaf of bread is $10 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, they'd be like, are you, have you lost your marbles? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's definitely, so, so you, you were talking about like, all right, so your father started the place in 57, right? And he's got the coal oven. Yeah. What? When? When do you start making pizza? And what? What was the pizzeria like? What was kind of like it, the it type of things great. that they it, were serving? Oh, some guy came in. His name was Vito Calamusa. He was one of my father's best customers. He had like an Italian store. Remember, I told you '67 was the height of uh, like when the Italians were immigrating over. Right, there. right, right. So yeah, we were talking about that the other my day. My father used to be able to sell as much bread as he could make. When you went to Calamusa's store. The Italians would all be outside waiting for you to come. You right. didn't even have to get out, bring it in. They were already out there. The Italians have to have their bread. They're addicted to bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they got to have it every day. They can't, you know, they, they're not going nothing until they get their bread. I'm the same way. I can't live without my bread. I got to have it. So um, I was going to show you a picture of Vito. He came in. He's 84. He did 30 years there. And then they, they had to give up because the neighborhood was changing. Already. If you don't have enough Italians around or the people that's going to want that, you can't sell that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. right, 100%. Or, same thing. If now if, if Whole Foods opens up and he's selling all the same Italian stuff that you got, whatever the, whatever the cheese brand is or the pepperoni brand is, you, he's going to be able to undersell you. Oh, yeah, just yeah. Like, just like Home Depot put every hardware store out of business. And there's not even none of them left. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's very yeah. few. Um, that shout out to uh, one of the last Crest Hardware, my boy Joe, Joe killing it. They got a pig in the backyard. I gotta take you over there. You ever been there to Crest Hardware? We're around here in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's in mm-hmm. Williamsburg. Uh, my boy Joe owns it, and uh, they have a pig named Franklin in the back. It's a yeah. giant independently owned hardware store. Yeah, I had a friend that had a. You know how he got the license to have pigs in Elizabeth? He had it say that he had like a little circus like that he would took it around to the kids on for birthday parties mm-hmm. he'd have a pig and a boat and a little donkey and that's how he got to keep them otherwise you couldn't keep them in elizabeth and what was uh what was he doing with the pigs was he turning them into pursuit no he would he would just keep them like take them to little birthday parties oh like say oh, you had a like, kid's birthday party he like he a petting would, zoo there you go yeah he, yeah he yeah. had a petting zoo that's what he was doing so your father, you say your father used to sell to this guy. Hold on. Here, here he is. Look. Yeah. Look how good he looks. 84 years old. God bless him. So this is a guy That's that... Vito Calamuso. So Vito Calamuso... Was one of the originals. Uh, one of the originals right, right there. Here? Show him. Hold on. Hold on. That's Vito Calamuso. He deserves it. Vito Calamuso. There he is. There right you there. go. The moose. One of the Elizabeth uh, originals. Uh, they're so, from Sicily, and they had the store. Like if they closed in '84, that means they had to open in 1954. And what was it like? A pork store? They sold like all Italian specialties and bread just, and everything. It wasn't just pork. You could get everything there, but his his cheeses, charcuterie. He had the biggest cheese. He had a cheese in there like the size of like a, a rocket ship. You couldn't even get in the door. You know, Whoa. What kind of cheese was that? Big thing of provolone. That oh, was, it was their, a big like provolone. Their national cheese. Right. And then. Uh, he his claim to fame was his veal cutlet. He had the milk cut veal. Give me that bottle. Mm. And I saw that's I was what? talking to that guy Otto Morelli. He came in for pizza. He's got a butcher shop on 84th in York. Okay. Otto Morelli. I was talking to you. I'm gonna go see him. But this is I could still show you how the Calamusa did it. He put the veal down 
and he had a little thing like this, and he'd go like this, and he'd go like this, and he'd take it just like this till it was paper thin. And then when you took that and you breaded it, oh, it was like out of this world. You think you could make that for me, Al Santolo? I can't make I don't have that tool. What what was it? It was like a cylinder? It was Vilco. It looked like... Did you ever see those little weights that the weightlifters have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like a real little one of them, like a little, little barbell, Mm -hmm. but tiny, like a one-pounder. And he was just taking a goal like this. I'm going to talk to Otto Morelli and see if he's got it. But even when I went to supposed to be the number one butcher shop in New Jersey, I explained everything I wanted. You know what the guy did? He took out one of them little meat things, goes, hit it like that, done. He after I went through the whole spiel about it, he said, yeah, I could do it. He says, that's it, done. Yeah, so he didn't want to hear it. Yeah, he well, he, it. Or, or he just wasn't comprehending it. You know, just one in one ear and out the other. Yeah, I, I feel like I've almost seen something like that somewhere before. It almost did. It almost look like um, you know the the for the espresso machine, the little press that you press down the coffee with. Was yeah. it like a fat one of those, a heavy one of those? I can't picture what you're talking about, but it's exactly what I'm talking. It looks like a little two pound barbell. It was like I never uh, see the butchers with her anymore. But anyway, this Otto Morelli was saying you could do the same thing with the with the with the Zuta de Parm. You can pound it real thin, and they wrap it around a piece of melon. So was this a, was this the kind of thing that like you know was uh, so he was famous for that? And then what would yeah, that's like an espresso tamper. Okay, yeah, it looks almost just like that. It yeah. almost looks like yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah, I've yeah. seen these yeah. before, yeah. like but for the meat. He's got a couple different sizes, right? But basically, that's it. But the the thing was the technique. You had to take it and go hit it and go like this and spread it out. And to, to tenderize yeah, it. push it. Yeah, yeah. Like he was the, like pushing it or yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. Spinning, he was like spinning it, it? turning it, hitting it. And I used to sit okay. there and watch him while he did it. But right. And that, that was like the best veal yeah, ever? Yeah, he put it on like a piece of wax paper and he'd do it on top of the wax paper. Okay, guys. I'm really, really sorry, but we got to take a quick break because we're we're having air conditioning issues. I'm not going to go handle this before we continue. <laughs> but we'll be right back. <laughs> Want to go get some Bro, air? I'm, uh, yeah, let's go get some air. Yeah, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff with the microphone. All right, are we back? We are. Okay, we're, we are we're back, back. We back. are back. Um, How about so- let me try this? See, watch. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> <laughs> You, you. <laughs> All right. So, Just testing. So we were. <laughs> so we were talking about uh. Vito uh, Calamo. and the veal, but you, so you're saying like your father used to sell bread with him over yeah. there. And he used to have all the Italian specialties, from the provolone to the soprasat, yeah. and people used to go to him. Now, like, would your mother go to him, and, like, would she bring home stuff for you and the family? My mother cooked every day of her life. Uh-huh. My father did the food shopping. Okay. When he went to all these Italian stores. So that's right. what he was bringing the stuff. That home. was kind of his thing, because he got yeah. to shake hands, he yeah. got to say hello to Vito, yeah. he got to say hello yeah. to this guy. And then my, he brought home whatever he brought home that my mother cooked. It. And then what kind of things would your mother cook generally? Well, like that cookbook I was showing you. Uh, that the, whole page. Uh, that whole that one whole page. Well, that nobody one. could see the cookbook, Al. You well, I'm saying, you people. pulled out that page. Well, off the top of my head, I can't remember all these recipes. You said the veal and the peppers. My mother had a veal scallopini recipe. That I never had real scallopini like that again in my life. It was just oh, you would eat the, you could eat the whole big tray like that. 
What's uh, tell everybody what a veal scallopini is? There's a lot of Omeragans that listen to this. I well, think. I'm not really sure. My mother, well, she made it, but it had the it had the um, marinara sauce in it. Mm-hmm. It had some mozzarella in it. I know she put salt and black pepper in it, but the way she, uh, it wasn't breaded veal. I don't think it was breaded. Yeah, but the it way just she like cooked it, it or something. No, she cooked it in this like a glass pan. Oh, okay. And she baked it in the oven, and that's how she made it. But I don't know like exactly how she made. It. She no, gave me yeah, she showed me a couple of her recipe, like her ravioli recipe. I wrote that down in a book. I know just how she what made it. What was that like? It what was, did it have inside? All these old ladies. Did it have mushrooms in it? Did it have lobster? All these women when I grew up. They all had like the same recipe, and they all had like the perfect recipe handed to them right. by the ladies that came before them. These recipes were the perfected recipes. But my mother would make raviolis on the holidays, like Easter she'd make, and maybe Christmas she'd make the ravioli. She went back. She, my mother had eight kids, so she had to go make up 150 just the raviolis. She'd make the ravioli dough. I don't remember the recipe. You know, it was. Oh, you don't have to tell yeah, anybody yeah. the recipe. Just tell me what what what, what your experience was. Okay, I used to go help her, and you know, you take the you take the rolling pin. You had to roll it real thin, and then she would use like a like the pizza cutter to cut them, and then she fold them over and she punch them down with a fork, just a regular fork, mm-hmm. and she didn't make them too big. And then she keep them in the wooden dough boxes, like kept the pizza dough in. Okay. And then yeah. when it was time to get them, you'd go put them in a pizza box and bring them in the kitchen, and, and she'd make them right there. They were strictly fresh. And then, and then what she put in there? Lobster? No, no. She only made them with ricotta cheese. Well, ricotta but cheese put, put and then egg in, She probably put egg in there, parsley in there. Oh yeah, yeah, little, yeah. Maybe she a little salt and pepper thing. in there. She'd mix that up. But then as far as with the meat, she put the meat in the gravy. You'd have meat, but her brush roll, oh, my God. She used to take black thread. That mm. was the trick. She used to sit there real careful, put a piece of black thread like she was going to sew. And she th- she'd sew the veal up, cut it up with the black thread. And then she put that in the pot. I don't remember her frying at first, but she w- it would cook in there the whole... Everything back then was three, four hours of making the gravy. It simmered the whole time and stirring it, stirring it, stirring it. When it came out, it was so tender, you could break it with a fork. And you had to use flank steak. That was the steak as it was a little bit tougher. Not veal, flank steak for the yeah, brajol. Brajol was flank steak. Brajol was flank steak. And then what was inside? Like garlic, parsley, yeah, breadcrumb? Yeah, up in there, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then like, wait, people have like chickens back then? Where'd you get your eggs from? Or you just went to the store? Well, depends on what you were doing. There was a famous egg guy called Papetti. Mm. He became worth like $200 million. We had a couple of them come out of Elizabeth. It was Pabetti's high-grade eggs. Then he sold that for $200 million. But he started off in the little Italian section. That's where you went for the holidays to get your Thanksgiving turkey. But it was a regular poultry shop. I'm sure we got eggs from there a lot of times. But you could pick up eggs like in all those little stores. But like, I know like... Uh, if you wanted to... But there was still places around in, in the Italian section where they were starting out. With a poultry farm, like in like where you got a couple of garages over here. That's how they started out. Just like in a couple of garages, yeah. having the chickens. And yeah. did like families have the chickens too? Yeah. Like, because I know a couple of Italian families I, that still when have I was chickens. A kid, we used to go and deliver bread. So everything was we used to have to go around the back. It seemed like everything was on the second or third floor. You had to bring house deliveries. Well, this one, 
you used to go back there. As soon as you opened the gate, the chicken would attack you because you were only a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> and the chicken would start pulling at your shoelaces. <laughs> they were brooding. They were brooding. That's what they call it when they're mad. When they're doing that? Yeah, I mean, what well, what was it? Was it like a female chicken or a male I chicken? I don't know. Just they no, just uh, they yeah. just mess with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if they were big enough to 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 mess with a kid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I've 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 been around a lot of chickens recently. Yeah. Uh, the, the last no farm in Elizabeth was right on the corner from my pizzeria. Was there in the fifties? Was a cow farm. Then we did have. It was the, a farm. Yeah, it was a little farm in Elizabeth. In Elizabeth. Yeah, up into the fifties. You guys out there listening, you got to understand something. Like, Elizabeth's like a little mini city. Like, yeah. it's not like uh, in the middle of nowhere or anything. It's you know, in North Jersey. You know, what, you know what Elizabeth is? It looked like they came into Manhattan and took one street and put it on the other side of the Hudson River. That's yeah. exactly what it that's, is. That's actually a really good description yeah. to what yeah. Elizabeth yeah. does. Yeah. It took one street. They just picked one out of Manhattan and put it over there. So did you guys go to, like, Newark back in the day? I know that well, was, that like, was a big, big that that's next the, door. And yeah, that, that was a big Italian well, community, you know? that was the big thing. Well, then, don't forget, that was up until 67 when all those things when happened. When the riots, yeah. But I remember my older sister taking a bus in there. You were big if you could take the bus into Newark to go shopping on the weekend. Mm. So that's what you did. Yeah, you went You went to go shopping yeah, and go to the... But this Broad Street in Elizabeth had all your most expensive stores. Like you could go up there and buy... You know, real expensive fur coats and everything. Really? Yeah, now it's all like dollar stores and that. Every store up in, on that Broad Street in Elizabeth is owned by New Yorkers. Nobody from Elizabeth even owns them. Mm, mm. New York bought all that up. So, so back in, uh, so going back to like, yeah, in Elizabeth back in the day, like, I mean, I just want to kind of like, I'm really interested to like understand like, you know, kind of like, uh, the little nuances of what was going on back then. Like, how is it different than today? Like, you know. Let me explain something. My father, the reason I'm there is because they made it sound like paradise on earth. You know what I mean? The Italian part of town was like, oh, it was, the, was heaven. When he came out of his pizza, his father's bakery on 4th Avenue High Street, you had about a mile almost of the whole Italian section. Every single corner, maybe in between, with some kind of club or a dance club or a bar. They didn't even have TV. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't even have fans. They all had to go outside and find things to do out there. Mm. And, they, and they had all that. He, and then he had to go to World War II. He, le he left, like, right in the beginning of 1942, he left. So he was there for up to the all of 41, my father. And in 42, he was gone. 43, he was gone. 44, he was gone. He was gone about three, over three years. Where, where did he go? Did he go to Italy or Germany? No, he, was, um, he served. Or Japan? Yeah, he, was, he had pretty tough service. It was called, he was on the North Atlantic on the destroyer escort submarine hunter. Mm. Here's what happened. Just to see if, had, put this in your mind. You're out looking for submarines to sink. They're out looking for you to sink you. Cat and mouse. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> it's whoever got the, if they got the jump on you, like his sister ship got sunk. So they picked up all the survivors and they took them to Casablanca. And I, and I somehow I, I managed to get all the pictures at one time. They had a photographer with them. They had all these eight by 10 pictures, like, like a hundred of them of carrying all the guys and them old fashioned like cots, you know, like the little... Right. that they carried the guys on. It was like a, like all, the, all those pictures. He had two bronze stars, so that means 
they got they must have sunk two subs. He helped to sink two subs. That's how you get the bronze star. You have to be in a battle. Oh, all right. Yeah, and then uh, the biggest thing he did was I don't know how much you know about history, but President Roosevelt had to go to this place called Yalta to meet uh, Stalin and Winston Churchill. Oh yeah, I've seen the video okay. from that meeting. So yeah. when he left from the United States to go all the way to Yalta. My father was with the convoy that escorted FDR over to Europe. Okay. Wait, where'd they meet? Y-A-L-T-A. I think okay. it's up in the Black Sea, actually. In the Black Sea somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've seen videos of that. There's a, um, uh, you know, like a famous thing where Winston Churchill was, uh, you know. yeah. Well, I, I, well in that meeting, though, Winston Churchill was very sour about yeah. Stalin. And yeah. Stalin was like, he, and uh, apparently, uh, you know, you could see the video of it. And Roosevelt was cracking jokes and making yeah. Stalin laugh. And they kind of credit Roosevelt with, like, making that whole thing happen. But um, so he was on the submarine pretty much all the time. You no, saying? he was on a destroyer escort. Destroyer escort. Yeah. Okay. And that's a, so he was in the Navy. Yeah, yeah. North, but it was called North Atlantic. Okay. That's the Battle of the North Atlantic. The second was Battle of the North Atlantic was two halves. The first half and the second half, he was in the second half. And that was fighting the Germans, obviously, yeah, if yeah. it was in the North Atlantic. And oh, then that's... he remembers his mother telling him that she didn't want him to go into war. Because he was going to have to fight the Italians. A lot of people don't realize that. It was, it was Italy and Germany together wasn't yes. against the United States. Yeah, well, Mussolini, yeah. Italy, Germany, yeah. Japan. So I And then um, I got one cousin from here that died in France. They buried him over there. He uh, was fighting on the American yeah, side or the Italian? On, on our side. Okay. He got killed with a landmine after D-Day. And I got another cousin that... He died on the Eastern Front for fighting for Italy against Russia, and he they never found his body. Do you remember, like, uh, I mean, were you around when the war was over? Well, I was were, born in 57. Okay. War, war was all over, over in 45. Right. So, so yeah, it, it so was, a lot was, of years later. Right. So it was 20 years later. Or 15, 20 years later, but there everybody was talking about like it was just last week. No, just no, like no, now, 100%. They still talk about 20 years ago. The older you get, 20 years ago doesn't seem that long ago. So then you lived through Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam was the big war. Right. All the, but now I can't believe all those guys are like in their 70s now. Oh, yeah, Vietnam at least. Guys. I mean, yeah. some are older. Yeah, but a lot of them above 70s, probably the average age for them, you know. We're older. I know guys that are a lot older than that that yeah. were in Vietnam. Listen, I mean, without a doubt. Without yeah, a doubt. Started in 64. Yeah. But I was talking about, for me personally, all the guys that I know. Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Years because, older than yeah, me. exactly. Yeah, I was yeah. supposed to go, just to show you how it ended. I was going to go, and the year that I turned 18, they had this thing like a lottery. They would pull this ball like a lottery. And when your birthday came up, that you were going to get drafted. Well, however they did it, they stopped drafting the guys, but they still had the lottery in case they in case the war started back up again because right. the war might have started back up again. We didn't know. So I came out number three, so I'd have been gone. You would have been gone if they kept on going. Yeah, well, that I, when I was 18, they picked number three. But I wasn't here. I went in the Air Force anyway. Oh, you were in the Air Force? Yeah, from 75 to 79. What was that like? What'd uh, you do? 
Let me tell you, that was the best four years of my life. Was yeah? That, oh, listen, when you take a test, and I did good on the test, so they gave me office job, like administrative job. They put me in the office in San Antonio, Texas, on his Air Force base. It's called Randolph Air Force Base. It's the show place of the Air Force. Had seven Olympic-sized pools, 111 full bird colonels. It was instructor pilot base, whatever the wing was, 12th Air Force training wing. Say you were going to be uh, an instructor pilot, not a regular pilot. Right. An instructor pilot. A teacher. Right. The you kids got, they, coming they, up. They, they would send you to Iraq, Germany to teach the kids over there. Oh, okay. But, to teach the other, like the allied right, countries. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And, um, just to show you how funny it was, Iran was our best friend because I used to hang out with the officers from Iran, like where we were friendly. Right, when the Shah was in power, yeah, yeah they, they, they were, were, they were like then. our best buds. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when all that happened. Well, the CIA installed the Shah, I think, in like the 1950s. You know, I follow all of that in yeah. history, but you got to realize one thing that people don't understand. The United States is a country that has a two-party system. When you go to a country like Iran or a lot of even China, it's a one-party system. Right. So if you want to say if this country had a one-party system, you got rid of all the Republicans. The only way you could get another power ruler in there is what? There's only one way. Uh, war. War. <laughs> That's the uh, only way. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So luckily in our country, they were wise enough that, to make the, the two-party system, and everybody learned to live with it. Right, right. But in these other countries, they never developed that one-party rule. So that's why yeah, I'm not Yeah, they're authoritarian countries. Right, right. Well, they have a dictator or, or one party. Sure. So that's yeah. why Iran is like that. I don't know if Iraq is like that, but a lot of countries are that way. Well, Iran, Iran is a, a funny. Iran actually had a um, uh, developed a democracy. I forget. Can you look that up? What was the guy's name from the democracy? But then he wasn't so friendly with us, and we needed yeah. oil. So it's actually it's not even like this isn't. Um, uh, what you would call it, like uh, conspiracy theory. Yeah. yeah, it's all like uh, um, declassified, like CIA things, because they were like, okay, we need a guy who's going to do what we say. Is, I don't have any problem with yeah. that. I mean, to me, I can see that. If if, if you have a country and you have a, 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 an opposition party and they're friendly to us, I give you, a, I'll put it down on layman's terms. Say you just pick a country in Africa. And, and and you live there, and I'm your friend. I want to visit you. You want to sell me whatever they got in Africa, right? Right. Now, all of a sudden, these guys, that I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. They take over the government. And, you know, you can't send out Aldi's, uh, whatever it is, mahogany wood no more. Right. Al, you cork can't, whatever, in Africa. You can't buy cork. it no more. Yeah, it so could be. So then the next thing you're going to do is what? Hey, let's find some guys that's friendly to Al and Nino and put them in charge. I, I, I mean, yeah. put it on basic terms like that. I get it. I get it. No, I understand. <laughs> I understand why they did it, but yeah. it's it's also. I mean, I don't see it as like a positive thing, like taking out an actual like working democracy and installing well, the details. Thor of the, yeah. yeah, they took out a working democracy and yeah. a democratically elected guy where you could have had multiple parties yeah. and installed an authoritarian, which was well, a that shock. isn't that sure. That goes back hundreds of years that with that show. He wasn't just nobody. You know I mean? Oh, no, yeah. he wasn't nobody. No, he yeah, was yeah. from, like, some royal family yeah, and this and that. But, like, like as an American, family. like, I don't want no fucking royalty momos. Like, I'm like, 
Uh, no, that's not what well, we're about. When when World War II was in here, I was very surprised that I don't know how Britain had the pull, but that's how we were supplying Russia. We would bring all the material to Iran, and they would ship it by truck into Russia. Right. That's how Russia got supplied. Because we had to help them out. Right, yeah. so whatever, whoever they had to buy off or pay off in Iran and Iraq, it, we, they, we got it done. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, back then, what was the guy's name? Oh, the former prime minister was Mohammed uh, Masada. That was the guy before the show, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's get back out to... Uh, <laughs> we Somehow we oh, died. wasn't Iran like, part of the uh, British Empire at that uh, time? And that's how it was? In World War Two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they were part of the British Empire. Um, but uh, yeah, because all the Middle East got chopped up after World War One. Right. Yeah. Um, so France, like that We're living was, as a result, of yeah. It. And, and but, you know, I'll tell you something that's fascinating. That Woodrow Wilson, he had the some kind of plan after World War One mm -hmm. about every every country is going to have a vote on like how their government's going to be. League of Nations was that? Well, what? before the League of Nations, okay. he had this like twelve point plan. Okay, yeah, and yeah. Some yeah. of these countries are still living that out. Like, I mean, I I, I see the little bits and pieces of it here and there. But they're trying to have plebiscites or whatever of little elections, and then they'll decide who's going to be in charge of their country. Mm. So, you know, there's people so, trying to fulfill that still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's over 100 years ago. Yeah, there's definitely uh, in uh, geopolitical politics, it gets a little fucking crazy out well, there. There's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's got a lot to do with might makes right. If you, you could be the nicest guy in the world, but if you're not going to stand up for yourself, people are going to walk all over you. No, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, these are like really complicated topics, but <laughs> no, it the, is. The, yeah, you gotta, it's, you gotta it's, have a lot. There's of friends, so much you know? to unpack with each one of these countries yeah. because, like, a lot of the bigger countries, especially like, I mean, if you look at the Middle East, for instance, like after World War One, um, you know, we kind of like divided everything up. That was the Ottoman Empire. It was World War One. Was yeah. the whole entire Middle East was one the, empire? The world's which like a playground in a bad high school. Check out those yeah. breads I gave you. No, it's no, 100%. So, <laughs> I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Al brought this over. This is one of my favorite things in the entire world. So, one of these is sausage bread. Yeah. This is a sausage bread. Yeah. So, take a look at that. We're going to heat this up later. This is our dinner. And then I'm taking a bite right now, actually. Tell them what's in the sausage bread. Tell them. Well, that's um, sweet Italian sausage from Sacco's Butcher Shop. Mm. He's my favorite butcher. I've been dealing with him for forever, and uh, he's oh, it's always good. That's my highest recommendation. It's always good. And the uh, the mozzarella cheese, and then I sprinkled the sesame seeds on top. But I'm a very particular about curating the ingredients, like the sesame seeds. You see how nice and crispy they are all over your fingers? Right. Are you Sicilian at all? No, we're Napoli. No, you think I said Napoli. Yeah. But this is, the, when you're in Elizabeth, became, I would say, of all the Italians, like half of them were Sicilian. But you don't know growing up unless they tell you. You don't know if they're yeah, sure. Sicilian or Napoli. You just know they're Italian. They yeah, all, yeah, yeah, You yeah. can't tell by looking at them. But um, I like them. They, it was too, was mostly was Napoli non people and Sicilian people. Those were the two main ethnic right. groups in Elizabeth. And when I was taught to bake in the brick oven, the, and, and you could ask Clem Caserta this. He's, he knew this. His family had. Who's Clem Caserta? 
He's been in every, in every Robert De Niro movie. Okay. He, he if you go if you, he was uh, he's he, like an actor. He's an actor. Okay. Robert, uh, he see these guys are older. I was he's older than De Niro even, but he's been in every he would. When you said Broom Street, that's how I knew Clem Caserta. He was from Broom Street. And they tell the story that De Niro really wasn't one of them tough guys. He grew up on a couple blocks away where they a little more gentrified already. Mm. And he was trying to fit in with these, like, the real hoods. De Niro was when he was a kid. Yeah, he wasn't really one of them. Right, sure. Yeah, but he, you know, idolized I didn't even guys. know that he wanted to be a tough guy back in the day. I never realized that. Well, he plays tough guys in all the movies. Plays tough guys in all the movies, but, uh, you know, how many... Uh, how many actual tough guys like play tough guys in the movies? You know what I mean? Like, well, not too many. Yeah, I mean they're actors. Yeah. I mean, cases There's different guys that yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd want to mess with them. They seem like they know how to fight, but I don't imagine. You know, like take like Tom Hardy for instance. Yeah. Tom Hardy plays a, a really really good tough guy in a lot of movies. Yeah. But you look at Tom Hardy when he's 20 years old, and I mean, I'm not sure I'd want to mess with Tom Hardy. He looks yeah. like a strong guy who works out and probably knows how to fight because he's been around a lot of good trainers. But at the same time. When the guy was a kid, he wasn't aspiring to be some tough guy. Yeah. You know, and he was yeah. aspiring to be an actor. I was, I would have assumed it was the same with De Niro, but you're saying now he was on the streets being a knucklehead? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the guys from Broom Street, however he became friends with them, mm -hmm. they looked at him like a, you were looking like the poor little rich kid. Ah, you know yeah, like yeah, there yeah. There was kids on my block that they were the poor little rich kid. They had all the toys. They couldn't come out of the house. They had better mommies and daddies. Sure. And we were like little street urchin kids. <laughs> <laughs> we were my, when we were kids, we, I'm telling you, we, we didn't even have shoes. My father had eight kids. We didn't even all have shoes at the same time. Yeah, we definitely, uh, my little crew, we definitely weren't around a lot around the uh, the rich kids' houses. They yeah. wouldn't, uh, their parents they wouldn't around us around. The rich kids. You know, the parents yeah. took them here and there. Oh, the rich kids, they come up. came from some kind of money. You know? Right, 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 right. Where these other kids were just on the street. Yeah. But anyway, the reason I'm bringing up Clem is he was one of the few guys that knew that my type of cooking was called Neapolitan. Mm. And then he has a video. He gave me a copy of the video. His family has a restaurant in Naples, and he went to some restaurant over here in Naples, and you should see this guy cook. I mean, he was cooking all the real Italian things. The, the, the big, his big thing is the puttanesca sauce. That's, what, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what everybody wanted, the puttanesca sauce. That was the big thing for like, for 30 years. Right. You don't hear about it, but that was he was showing you how to make that. But It's he, actually this video I got to say you. The, the, have you ever seen the... Um, um, look up uh, puttanesca five-minute or struggle videos or something like that. Maybe we can pull it up, but um, it's this kid. Now he's got a show called... Uh, five minute struggle meals or something and it's like he makes dishes for i don't know what it is it's like under three dollars under yeah. five dollars or something like that yeah. for home cooks but he had a short-lived show the guy's a really uh you know good tv type of guy but he's on the internet and uh he did the whole history of the putanesca because you know putana like uh, you know like do you what, what, do you know a story like a Putinesca yeah, story at all? That's what it is—the story of the of the whores. That's what right. Mean. Yeah, that's so, what that means. Yeah, he he told some story about um. It was like the history of uh. Yeah, there it is, Frankie's world. Yeah, pull uh. Well, it's twelve minutes long, but. <laughs> 
we'll 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 watch it at some point. But yeah, this is the guy Frankie, and then he does uh um tells you the you history, know. a little backstory. Yeah. He does like the whole like there's like a few histories. Yeah, I don't know. We're gonna get in trouble for playing this. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we everybody can look it up. Taboo tale of Putanesca. The guy sending me a bill. Well, he's gonna send me the bill if he sends anybody the bill. You don't gotta worry about it, I'll send Nino the bill. Yeah, Nino will get the bill for sure. I'll get the letter in the mail, the cease and desist and all that shit. No, but basically he talks about um it was uh you know, there was a um you know, a woman, and you know well, she used to have guys over. Clem Caserta for ten seconds. Clem Clem Caserta. C a s e r t a. That's Caserta. Italy. Oh, so he so so you're saying that Clem he was one of the Broom Street guys, but then he would act in the in the he, movies he, with he was De Niro because every De Niro movie. He, right. He had my favorite scene in all the movies. He was when the when they were beating up the bikers in the. In the Bronx Tale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he was the guy beating the shit out of the bikers the, the most. Oh, he was one of the... Was he the big guy? Yeah, yeah. The real big guy? Yeah. He's still alive? Yeah. No. Yeah. He's still alive? Yeah. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. How'd you spell Wait, that name again? The last name? C-A-S-E-R-T-A. -E the, the reason this is, sticks in my mind is Italians always try to put two and two together. Mm. Make, and they try to... This is why the Rome... Listen, this goes back to the Roman Empire. Okay. Why was the Roman Empire so great? They had a sickness for organization. They were better organized than anybody. So that is very true. Your DNA now from 2,000 years, you have to have everything organized. If you talk about... Um, oh, yeah. If you Say if you talk about Naples, now I got to talk about Caserta. Now I got to talk about Clem Caserta, and I got to put all these things, organize them together into this group. Otherwise, my head don't stop. Like they're into threes. I got that picture of them over there. What this one I, right here? Or this that, one? I, no, the one to the left. The one this? I got that picture. Yeah, that one's all over the internet all the time. Yeah, the famous one. one where they're beating up Joe Pesci's not here. They got a picture where they're beat. They show him and the one where they're where they're giving Joe Pesci the pineapple. It go. It's a mime going all over Facebook now. Uh, I eat. Yeah, a meme, a meme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, uh, what, he was in, what, in a casino? Beating he's in them all up? of them. Yeah, he's in all the movies. His son. His, his son just got a cooking show. If you want to get him over here, he'd be good for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's from around. Nice yeah, if guy. you reach out to him, yeah, yeah we'd been, love to talk to a, him. He's been on a couple TV shows. Oh, nice. Clemenza. Was it Chewing the Fat? With big and beefy, that's chewing the fat. That's uh, that's the name of my new favorite book. I want to get her chewing on the too. Fat with big and beefy with guest Clem. Yeah, but that's I don't know. Um, he's got a new show out. I don't know if that's it. Oh, okay. It says the Wacko Network. The Wacko Network. That's what it says. That's what Cooking. it says. The Wacko images maybe I don't see a date on there. Caserta ten oh one. I don't know. That means 2001. That might be from 20 years ago. Or I see. You think first. the kid's that old? He looks... Oh, uh, no, I'd say he's about 40. Yeah, he looks about 40 right well, there. That picture's, Maybe that, it's that 10 picture's like, That picture's like 10 years ago. That's why I'm saying. He don't look oh, that, look, that yeah. picture, you think it's... Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I yeah. that picture's from 10 years ago. So this guy, this guy, uh, the old man, what are you saying? He like comes into your club and he's from Broom well, Street? he moved down to Florida now, but he used to be in there all the time. He used to come to uh, Santillo's all, all the time. time. He was a regular. And where did he live? He lived somewhere in Jersey? Um, 
He was living in Staten Island. He had a moving company on the side, but he did the, did the acting gigs. He tried to make his own movie a couple times, but he wasn't that successful. He made his own movie, and then he tried to make a couple more movies on his own, but he didn't have that much success. But now he's old. Now he's in his 80s. Right. But he doesn't really... So if you see him online, somebody's doing all that for him. He oh, not, yeah, he's not yeah, capable yeah, yeah. of doing that. No, he doesn't. I'm, he doesn't look like a guy who's interested in uh, posting on Facebook <laughs> no, or anything like that. <laughs> 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 no, he ain't. <laughs> uh, he's like, hey, hey, Clem, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to put it on the wire. <laughs> Tell my secretary. Tell my secretary to do it. So, um, so... You 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 would say uh, so he was from Broom Street and became friends with De Niro when he was a kid and then yeah. yeah okay but the reason we brought up Clem is right he gives me the bona fides to tell you somebody that that, other was legit. Than that what I'm doing he recognized it as Neapolitan cooking and his family he even showed me they have a, a restaurant in Naples and basically it means everything is going to be on the very well done side that's mm. how they like it. Not burnt all up, but they consider that well done. That's got to do with like their well food. done as far as bread goes, or as Everything. far as what? But, but all, bread, well, the meat. bread and the pizza for sure. Okay. I don't know about all that. The, 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 like, see, if you wanted something softer, then now you now you want to get into a ravioli or a piece of cake. But they want their bread hard. Remember that one picture I sent you? I told you see if you could find anything about the place. Yeah. Remember yeah. that last guy I showed you? The, yeah. All the work their guy went through. See, there was two kinds of bakers. There's crisp guys that want everything crispy, and there's people that don't want it crispy. We were the crispy bakers, right? We were doing all things to make things crispy. Um, I, 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 I believe you a hundred percent. I just know for a fact there's a lot of fucking guys from Caserta and from Campania who are gonna yeah. who are gonna argue about this. Well, can I tell you something? I have relatives in Caserta. Oh, you're talking about Fazio's, right? What? The Fazio video. Is that the video you were talking about? Fazio? Yeah, you sent me some video called Fazio. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's a bakery in, in somewhere out in Missouri. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. That, that, oh, yeah, yeah. The reason yeah, I'm telling you Fazio is a lot of us have that same story. I'm going to oh, show God. you the picture right now. Like, this is a common story with these Italians, with the bakeries. There used to be a bakery shop on every block when my father was a kid. Over here, yeah. In, in Jersey. It was yeah, one 100%. every block. Well, I think what a lot of people don't realize on both sides of the fence, and on both sides of the pond, I should say, is that, um, you know, I mean, Italy for 95% of the population up until, you know, really the 50s or 60s, I mean, you're talking about a country that's 1,500 years under hardcore feudal authoritarian rule. Feudal, yeah. And then, and then, yeah. And then that changes to... Uh, Mussolini and a fascist dictatorship yeah. and then you go through World War II and then that's when the economic miracle happens and it, it's you know like I mean See what it says 90, here? look that was my grandfather's bell head can you hold it up okay crispy yep. yeah yeah my yeah, yeah I can my father didn't have the heart uh, to change it and I didn't either can you so, read it hold hey, it over me, oh, wait, I got that Switch. can you read it see it that's from 1950 let's go yeah, I know, but I got that. Oh, you have it. You can pull it up. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay, that's my father. Okay. Yeah. I pick up that other one where that where that baker from Italy is. I'm trying to track yeah, make down him south of Rome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, so crispy Italian Italian bread. Well, no, I it's don't the think Italian tomato pies. Yeah, that's what they call them. So this is this is this this receipt from what year? What do you say? Like, well, this is from 1950. The only thing okay. I didn't matter. It was even the same printer. That's why he's even got the same type. You had right. this guy, this old guy. He's got the same type from like he's at. Might be going out of business now, but he had all that type like from Benjamin Franklin days when you went and had all the little type things like this. He was still doing all that. Yeah, I don't think anybody would would question uh, even out in Italy these guys um, about crispy bread. They would question if you're saying like crispy pizza because you know according to that, now I'm not saying this right. Yeah, 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 yeah I I'm just you. saying yeah. what what people are gonna people, say. Yeah. They're they're gonna say that you know there's um. You know, uh, a, a Neapolitan tradition that dates back to, you know, the 1920s. I watched whatever. the video. He yeah. falls it into a wallet. Oh, the portfolio pizza. Yeah, sure. So like, listen, I get what they're doing. Right. I don't have no issue. If, if that's what they like, I don't have no issue with that. Right. But, and, and I made a million pizzas like that, soft like that. But that's not the one that I prize the most. No, no, no. I agree with yeah, you. Yeah. I think we we perfected pizza in New York. Yeah. I, I all I'm saying is that like, you know, we 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 and and I'd love to explore this and I'd love to, you know, I got friends that could say actually one of the guys who's the guy who's probably gonna be the first Michelin star pizza guy, yeah. I think Francesco Martucci is actually out of Caserta. Well I have relatives in Caserta and when I went to go visit them they made sure that I knew that the buffalo mozzarella cheese came from Caserta, Italy. And we had a dinner, and they must have five pounds of it there. Right. And I, but, but in America, you didn't really get that too much, not well, back listen, in the they, day. They even had that back in the, like the early 80s. They mm. had buffalo mozzarella and wood-fired ovens. They had it. And, and maybe it's bigger now because, listen— it, it, like just North Jer just New Jersey's eight million people. I mean, try to comprehend that. New York City's like another eight or ten million people. Yeah, I mean, you got two thousand people. There's plenty of room for all these guys to have their specialty thing. But running a business and making a pizza is two different things. You know, when I mean, you have to get into making money off it, you know, let's let's be honest here. If uh, if you go to a, a fancy restaurant, what's the guy making more money off? Selling you sausage and peppers and sp spaghetti or or selling you a pizza for two people making more money off the sausage and pepper dinner right 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 right, right. how much is he gonna get for that pizza yeah what i mean gonna guess 18 dollars and then and then you and your girlfriend's gonna split it and you're there at the table for 45 minutes you're lucky if you get the whole bill comes to 35 <laughs> you know what i mean yeah you're talking about turning the tables no 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 100 yeah. percent. i mean I think like what I kind of uh, attribute a lot of this stuff to is that um See, um find that other picture of the guy with the big long Oh yeah, I got that. Breakfast. Oh, he's got Hold it. Yeah, I he's got see it. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always kind of attributed like you know, I don't know what it was. I wasn't around in the 1950s in Napoli. Yeah. I wasn't around in the 1920s. I don't know what the fuck was going on, but I do know that you know, these guys they came over to America and you had you know these bread baking ovens and in these bread baking ovens that are 40 feet deep that were traditionally used for bread that's where they started making yeah. the pizza and oh, you look can't at this oven blow that up yeah 
You could blow well, it up. I mean, that's, it's, it's on the full screen. They can see oh, you it. You can't blow it up. You can. You can blow it up. You can blow it up. Yeah, I mean. Because if you, the thing of, with the digital nowadays, you could blow it up, slide it over this way. You could see how he's making his bread. Slide it over this way. See what that bread looks like up in the corner there? Yeah. You see all the work he did to make it crispy like that? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's all the work you made to do that crispy like that. That looks like that, uh, how do you call it, what, what Tony Gimignani's making at his new bakery. I mean, it looks like a much longer version. Have you seen that? What Tony's oh, he's trying doing? to make some kind of focaccia over there? That's it's, like a focaccia. That's exactly what that is. It's like, There's different uh, ways of making focaccias, but basically it means that. Yeah, he has, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look it up right now to see like what he calls it. It starts with a P. But look, look at his face. He don't look like he's Sicilian. You know what I mean? Right. No, yeah, I hear what he's saying. A hundred percent. No, I, he, he called it, it was like P. Oh, here it is right here. It's uh, opening in three minutes. It doesn't say the name, yeah, but I, it's I, like that. I've been that. following him, yeah. Okay, I haven't seen that thing. That yeah. looks like a pretzel pizza. When the people would make like a pretzel. Well, it's like, like a that. really crispy, yeah. like, uh, here, let me find a better picture for you. Well, I can Olive see what oil. it is, but I mean, that looks like he's crossed. See, look, it's well, like the flats. Yeah. yeah. They're and very flat seen, and thin. It's got big holes in there. Well, he's just like cutting holes, but you can see, go back to that other picture. Hey, had. I don't know where we found that from. See, see the holes in here? Yeah. It's got those aren't really holes. Those are like dimples, kind of. But he probably they probably were holes at one time. Well, that's closed up. I mean, that's that's definitely not. What looks like it did. Looks like he did it with his are, fingers. Yeah, these, yeah, but these are slashes in here. Yeah. These are. You, you think can, those are slashes? No, those are definitely slashes. You can see, and you can see how thin it is. Like it's it's definitely you. He probably either took a knife or or a pizza cutter or something to the whole thing. Yeah. But it was a well fermented thing, so it would have while it was baking, it would. Have spread out. It would have well, went there back was together. More to that article that told you everything. He how he did it. Oh, I was that? That's a few yeah. step process there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course, of course. That was other one. So my, go, was my dad. See, my father and he's that's about, your father. He's about sixty there, yeah, but see how carefully he's he's see it was he like an eagle eye paying attention. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Concentrating. Yeah. He's being serious there. Right. Go back to the previous one. Yeah, this is, he's about this 40, is your father. Yeah. yeah, that's what year you think I'd this say that's is. That's about sixty-three or sixty-four. And this is in. You uh, see the arms on him? How I say he was in the navy. So he had a, he had the Popeye arm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's when yeah, they yeah. had the when they had to pull all the ropes all the time. Look, right. They're pulling all the ropes. You get big forearms. From oh yeah, all the ropes. I see your muscles yeah, moving out. They do all this with the ropes all the right. time. Right. And they have to take the ropes and roll them up and stuff. They still had a lot of ropes back. So then. now, what what year you think this was? He's got a furnace right behind there. He was putting steam in the oven. Yeah, talking to the mic. Okay. My father go was back, putting steam in the oven. Then in 1970, he went back to Italy with Bonamita Mike the Cosmo. Mike the Cosmo was a prize fighter back in the 50s. He won mm. a $10,000 purse down in New Orleans. So he was famous, a, a prize fighter. And Mike the Cosmo, owned, his, his parents were making cheese over in the Italian market. So when he got a little older, he took over the cheese business. So he was uh, one of our everyday customers. So just to tell you about how history was and how we talk about Americans and Italians, Mike DeCosma went with my father. They went back to, I'm going to tell you, um, Volata. Now, Volata is okay. maybe only 20, 30 kilometers from where the Santos are from. They're called 
Valadays. And the Valadays said all this, where we're from, it was called, they call us Moon Valadays, the Mountain Valadays. They think we're Valadays too. Okay. That's like the little area of Caserta. Caserta would be in that area. Right. So when he went back to Valada, he found a bakery just like that. This is in 1970. And um, they weren't using steam. They just were making the bread without steam. Okay. So that was a big thing. Then they didn't like the French. French was like their enemies. The Italians didn't like the French. Right. You got to get that straight. That's why yeah. there's a border between them. They still fight over the land over there. If you get a, get a chance, they'll go to war over that little piece of land. That hit Mussolini took in World War II. They had to give it back. Sure. So once you found out that he could make the bread without the steam, he was real happy, and he didn't use the steam no more. Oh, okay. So but this this is the bread with the steam. See the more it does come a little more uh nicer looking with the steam. It keeps the bread from like that loaf of bread I gave you, sometimes it'll it'll split open. The steam helps all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll uh, give Help it like a glossy effect that'll well, create like the splitting. ears more. Keep it yeah. from splitting funny. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it like, stops the mouth effect. Has good effect. So you're saying like that furnace was just full of water that would be yeah. heated. Yeah, he, he had a furnace back here, and right over there there was some kind of valve. I used to have to put the water in. You'd have you'd have to open it up, let the steam in, and then you have to close it again. Like I was I was over there right. working when I was five years old. I I, I was already working. So there, at this there's point, the, he's not making pizza yet. He's just like doing no, he was, like he was making of pizza. Oh, he's making there. pizza too. So they yeah. do both. Yeah, he was already making pizza. He and then. He, and um, I'm trying to think. So he started there in 57. I mean, so maybe, like, I'm sure by 59 he was making pizza already. Right. But he didn't make pizza to, like, try to do it, like, 5 at night to 11 or 12 at night because his first love was the bread. Got it. But he want, he wanted to do something with the bread. Like I told you, he felt like if he could make better bread, he could charge more. And then the final thing he said to me when he was giving up was because he tried over there for all them years. He says, I don't know what you're going to do. He says, because I could never charge enough and I could never make enough to make the kind of money that he wants to make over there. Sure. With, with that oven. Even though that oven is big like that, it's not designed for mass producing like that. I worked in other bakers. When I told you I worked for the Gambinos, the Gambinos had a bakery shop up in Bloomfield, New Jersey. And I worked over there because I wanted to learn the trade. I wasn't lazy. I worked here all during the day, and I worked in the construction union. And at night, I worked for the Gambinos up in Bloomfield for like three, three and a half years. Who's the Gambinos? What do you mean? It was Charlie Gambino. Uh Uh-huh. And he was related to the famous Gambinos that everybody knows. Like the Mafia Gambinos. Yeah, but he was legit. Right. The guy worked his ass off. That's the thing. He so was what was the what was the bakery? You're talking about Bloomfield Avenue in, in Newark? No, no. Bloom, oh, well, you, listen, you, it you, was, you. listen, Bloomfield Avenue in Newark turns into Bloomfield Avenue in Bloomfield. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he had a brother, Sal Gambino. They had brought a beautiful story about him in the ledger. I'll show you sometime right, when he burned all the turkeys. So I worked with these guys to soak up my culture. You know what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say? Because that's how, here's how the Italians get. I got to tell you a story. They wanted me to take the business, right? They, they come and they say, you know, we can never give you what the money the Americans could give you because you could go over and get a job like for the trade. Well, these guys, but I could tell you with the carpenters or the steam fitters, and you'll make more money than you're ever going to make 
with that little peach rear because those guys are paid well. And there's a lot right. of them went into that. And then uh, he said, but you could bring your family over here. You could have your wife here, your kids here, and you could have your family all together. You could have that, you know, but you you could have your family with you, but, and you could work all the hours you want. When I was working 100 hours a week, because I was making a lot of money, but don't count your footsteps because it ain't going to come out to a lot per hour, but you can get all the hours you want. Right. So that's how it got resolved. He said, you know, they like you to, everybody, the Italian community would love you to stay here. They'll support you. Looks good for another 20 years. This was like the early 80s. Why don't you take this? Because my father's house was already shot because he was like 58. He couldn't do it no more. He same same problem I'm getting. Shoulders shot, long shot, back shot. Everything was shot, you know. So, so what I was, took over the business. So what was this? The you went and worked for this like Gambino yeah. Bakery, and that's what it was called. It was called Columbus Bakery. Columbus Bakery. That was okay. so sad. I went by there about a year ago. It's all closed up. The family must be fighting over it. You know what I mean? I don't mm. know if Charlie died. I heard Charlie was alive still down in Florida. Okay, and then. He had a son, Jackie. He went to work for this other brick oven place. I think it was in Belleville. It was a famous, it was called um, right across from like a subway stop in, in Belleville. It was an Italian bakery. I tried calling them. They're out of business. I try to keep track of all these places. You know, that's, right. I know I got another customer. That's what he does. He keeps track of all these brick ovens and what's left and who's there. Sure. It's like a thing to keep track. And we don't have no kind of organization for us. Nobody ever made an organization. And then there was another guy. He was real famous. He was um, not Gambino's. Oh, he was in Newark, and he used to make the bread for Frank Sinatra. That's how I grew up. My father was trying to get Frank Sinatra the bread. To get in that. To, to that sell would, it to Frank. Yeah. Because I would so blow that, it up. My father was like the number one Frank Sinatra fan. His oh, okay. Was, my father's nickname was Frank Sinatra Jr., Mm. He, he, my father would go out after work. Yeah, he looks. He, uh, he would go out to nightclubs. He would sing. Then really? Yeah, he, he had a friend that played the horn, and they they used to like let him sit in with the big shots. That was their thrill. Like say you say like a big band would let him sing on the side and let his friend play the horn. They would sit in with him. Right. And that's what they did for fun. So they do it for like free, and then like yeah. it was like their payment well, was like, oh, drinks. you get to hang out with the guys and yeah. you get to yeah. drink. Get hang out with the real guys. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's the kind of life he had. So he was like a really good singer. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was, and he was like he was. And, oh, and he's, he was a professional dancer too. After he left working for me, get out of here. He got a job like dancing on the cruise ship, like one of those. T, like you said, like you saw the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old movies, <laughs> yeah. The old movies from the eighties where yeah. they used to have the, the yeah. chips. That's what he so, was doing. So, tell me, uh, you know yeah. what? We're gonna we're we're gonna take a little break All for right. one second, and then we're gonna come right back. All right, we're having a good time, you know. Oh, that's the name, Josh right. Rogaine. <laughs> oh, we're back, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> worked on that. We're back? <laughs> we're back. That. I had to get that. I'm you got sorry. That? Did you get it? Oh, yeah. Right. I don't even remember where we were. What the fuck were we talking, talking about? about my father was hanging around with Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, he wanted to hang around. Yeah. Well, he actually yeah. hung around with Frank? No. Here's the deal. My father only met Frank Sinatra once in his life. Okay. That was later in life. But when he was young... It was a famous club in Atlantic City called the 500 Club. Mm -hmm. 
And Frank Sinatra even got a song about his friend, Jilly. Okay. And they made songs about Jilly owned it, the 500 Club. Right. And every Monday night, they had the Monday night card game. My father was in the card game with Frank Sinatra's best friend. Okay. What kind of cards would they play? Do you know? I know they played poker. They played poker, maybe yeah. pinochle. They Not weren't sure. playing. Did anybody play the Italian? Like, I grew up playing, like, La Scopa and Briscola, like, in Brooklyn. Like, was anybody uh, playing that when you were a kid? Like, the I, Italian cards? I remember cards? playing them. Um, I guess they had different. When I grew up, they were playing AC Ducey. Okay. That was one game they played. But with American cards, not with the Italian cards. No, these were American cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, they used to, but the thing was, with those games, like, I would only be 15 or 16. The pots were real big. Mm. These people were already professional gamblers. That's why I don't have no desire to gamble. I grew up with all itinerant, degenerate gamblers. Who was a, I was, who I was, was the exact same and, way. They had to go to the track every single day of their life. They had to play cards. They do every. Like you would go into these Italian clubs, there would be so much smoke that you couldn't see from here to there. Yeah, that's what they did before they had Atlantic. That was before Atlantic City, and um, I'm trying to think. Ziganet was the big game. Okay, the loser got rubbed out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he we yeah I uh, we were talking about it like your father. He was you know he was also a dancer. He was into that. Um. So, like, he's delivering pizza. I mean, I thought that was really interesting what you mentioned earlier where he would take the fire bricks and, like, put it in a wood yeah. box. Like, that's amazing. Like, that. we got to, like, we got to get some, like, what do they call them now? I think they call them makers, Al. They call them, they call these people makers. There's these people named makers, right? And they were on Etsy, and they got a show with Ron Swanson, you know what I mean? Uh, the Maker Show. You know, uh, you know Ron Swanson with the mustache. Not he's on. A, him, he's no. on all the the memes. I know what Nets. What what Etsy is? That's a place where they sell like this custom stuff. Yeah, they're like maker people, but we could maybe we could maybe have them like. Nick Offerman. Know, no, his name's Ron Swanson, bro. Don't fucking correct me, young Brady. <laughs> so. uh... <laughs> No, but we can, uh, yeah, we can make a wood box and, uh, you know, we'll do a video. Like those bricks you got out there, when those bricks, put bricks in there. Yeah, we'll put like fire bricks. We'll get a knife. I'm going to find a maker. There's a bunch of them over here. Bushwick's full and of makers. Start the new, and, and you're going to start the new hot box. It must have been real nice. Kept the we're gonna, nice We're going to try it out. We're going to do like, um, yeah, he uh, was doing it. What, what, what's the. He was able to carry it. It was heavy. That was the issue. It was heavy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's wood. And there's bricks. Yeah. Anybody, yeah, what if we made like a little cart? Well, the thing was they only had to get it from inside the pizzeria to the truck. They, that's how... Listen, these people wanted it perfect. when it went, And then when my father first started, they didn't even have pizza boxes. I think there's one guy left. I forget where he is around here. He's still... Oh, oh Federici's maybe does it. He wraps it in butcher paper, and then he puts the bakery string on it, and that's how you yeah. take the... He, that's how I it. did Grimaldi. I don't know if they still do it like that, but Grimaldi's, I think, he used to do that like too. That? Yeah, yeah not that long ago, yeah, like when I was like would, a teenager. The grease would drip out of that. The yeah. brown paper was not going to prevent Well, the they grease. would get a, um, I think what he was doing, he was getting like the cardboard cutout. It was like a big C cake eight, circle. Yeah, it was a big cake circle. They yeah. throw it on there, then they throw the bag over it, and then they wrap it up. And you know what I don't see anymore? It was a big thing for a while. It was called the Chicago Hot Bag. Okay. And 
they didn't put their pizza in a pizza box. They put it in a plastic bag. And they slipped it in the plastic bag and they sealed the plastic bag closed. Really? I seen a few of them in my life. But then I, it became like not a thing anymore. But that was a thing like when I first started in the early 80s. That doesn't sound like it would work too good though, no? Because well, all the steam would get trapped. Uh, well, it didn't matter. This is what they were doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they would seal hey, the, I want to hear like, what they were like doing. A, it was like a giant Ziploc bag. Well, did you did you hear the Joe Riggio episode we did? He was talking about a lot of you know Joe Riggio on why Pizza Suprema. I, I watched that one, but I don't. Sometimes I start falling asleep when I'm. No, no, no. It's okay. Don't worry. Well, one of the things that was interesting that he was talking about because since you know his father started the place in whatever it was like the fifties, early sixties. And he was like, Nino, we didn't have a refrigerator, oh, I, like I a dough refrigerator, until 1988. Yeah, he was real old. Yeah. And he, he was, had the wooden boxes that they put in the room. Yeah, he party. didn't like the water. He was very, he was very mad on the episode. I'm, I'm a wooden box fan. But um, to Joe, and, you know, to each his own, you know what I mean? Joe thought they were disgusting. Joe, mm. and, and Joe was talking about, actually, Fortunato's Bakery has them. They're these um, metal boxes that you put the things in. And he said they got a new, like, pizza table, and it had racks in it. And mm. they would just put the metal boxes in. But they wouldn't even refrigerate the dough. And you hear about that in Italy, too. Like, yeah. when I first went to Italy, they were telling me, bro, you got to use wooden boxes and you can't refrigerate the dough, which is, I mean, in my mind, that's crazy talk. You know what I mean? interrupt you. Yeah, tell me. That comes under the big category of dough management. Let me tell you something that's a baking secret that keeps me thrilled when I think about these things. Mm -hmm. That keeps, as a baker, keeps me interested that I'm shooting like an arrow every time. Right. When you make the dough, there's two things that you're considering. Number one is when is the dough meet the oven? And number two, when is the product gonna be consumed? Because I'm making a fresh product every day. When I grew up, they didn't refrigerate that. And I think about what changed over the years. My father had a big giant tub that you could still get these big tubs the size of the table, and they would throw the dough in here. My father used to make the dough before he went to bed at night. Then he got up in the middle of the night and he punched it all down. Then oh when God. he got up in the morning, he made the bread and it would come out. That's how they made it. But the reason was they were doing this was because the, the dough probably didn't have enough protein like these high gluten flours now. So right. The dough was not forgiving. If you didn't do that and give it that extra punch down, it wouldn't have the body that you needed to make the bread that the Italians didn't make it in a pan. Right. So if you were going to make it in the pan, that wouldn't be an issue because the pan conforms to the pan. But the Italians want their bread the way you see it in a bag like that, to go in the oven like that. So it's got to have more body to it. That's the word we use, more body. So if the, if the protein was only 11 or 12 percent, when they put it in there and they punched it down, that gave it the the tensile strength. But you're talking about for like uh, for like bread baking, though, right? Right. Now listen. Here's the definition of a pizza. A pizza is just a good piece of bread dough that's made thin. It's a thin piece of good bread dough mm -hmm. with sauce and cheese on it. Here's the only issue, though. So when you're, like, making bread, now, like, think about, like, the, the, the size of, like, the kind of oven that you have. It's a huge size. You can fit a lot of bread, right? Yeah. So 
what do you how many pieces of bread do you think if you filled up the whole entire oven 150. that fits 150 yeah. okay so and then what do you got about a 40 minute cook time on the bread depends on how big it is if it's only like a little roll uh -huh. 10 minutes okay now if you start getting into big big loaves of bread could be an hour what it's about like about a, let's let's talk about a baguette let's use that okay, as baguette, like a good you probably get that out in 20 minutes okay so you got 20 minutes so with bread right you're making your dough yeah you're like you're saying you're, in a batch in a batch yeah you're fermenting it you're punching it down you're shaping it you're yeah. letting it rise and then you're cooking it off yeah you're doing it all at the same time yeah with pizza right it's a la carte Go ahead. Well, it's a la carte. Yeah, yeah. I so like, one, so like, everything's individual. So like, if you if you use that system without like refrigeration, yeah. the pizza that you make at 4 p.m. and the pizza you make at 9 p.m. are going to be completely different That's because true. one would have had like five hours more fermentation yeah. outside if it's not in the fridge to slow it's that a down. Mind blowing thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, my father had all ways to try to manage the dough. Okay. Okay. He had all different ways to manage it, but bottom line is, no matter what, it's gonna be good. You understand? Mm -hmm. It's gonna be good whether you. It, it's got, and it was very important that he he always let the dough rise twice. But I was, this is a nutritional thing that once you make that dough, and then you got and then you shape it into the loaf of bread, and then it rises again. It rose twice. I scaled right. the dough. To me, this is like s sacred almost because. You can rob the customers and they won't know. I'm making right. your bread. Like there's snack food and then there's the food that you're counting on for your nutrition. I'm I'm the baker. You're dependent on me not to rob you. So now when I come in, I put the fresh yeast in there. I scale it off, okay? Once it doubles in size, I make it into a loaf of bread. Or if I don't make it into a loaf of bread, I take it and I shape it into a pizza and then I put it in those retarder cabinets, and I let it rise again in there. Right. Before I make the pizza, I'll take my hands and I'll pat it down because people don't want it too thick. But I got somehow I gotta let it rise twice. When it rises twice, here's the secret that that was learned by trial and error over hundreds of years. That science now will prove what they learned by trial and error is that those the nutrition is broken down to the size that a yeast molecule can digest once it's been pre-digested by the yeast molecule all the nutrition that's in that wheat will now get into you yeah yeah so this is i can't prove all this to you but this no, is no, what no, I'm no 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 it's definitely yeah, there's yeah, been yeah, a lot of yeah. people like working at the Sometimes science of it three times. here let me uh, let me break down for you a little yeah. bit what i know because yeah. you're 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 not wrong what you're saying yeah Basically, one of the biggest problems in the you, last century. You can use the refrigerator. I don't. You ask me personally if I have an issue. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's the all about your dough management. Well, oh, well. So, so basically, it's um, like the problem that's happened over the last century with bread making that didn't exist before because you didn't have commercial yeast. Yeah. And commercial yeast isn't bad. No. Okay. No, I want to make that very yeah. clear. Commercial yeast isn't bad, but. The problem is, is that once you, like, if you were to take, like, what they used before they invented commercial yeast and whatever it was, like, the 1910s, 1920s, really, though, even though they invented it, like, let's say they invented it in 1920, 
everybody didn't start using it until like the 40s, 50s, or 60s, like when it got a wholesale adopted. Now, if you were to take like uh, what was before that, which would have been like a Bega Wild, you start a culture, Levon, whatever you want to call it, it's the same thing. It's just fermented flour and water um, to use as your leavening agent. Now, like when you start adding more of that, as a percentage of your flour, like you could add 10%, 20%, 30%, you can add 80%. Talking about yeast. Right? We're talking about well well what was now oh, what was before yeast? What was before you could buy yeast? Well, listen, I don't remember that and I remember my grandfather buying yeast. I know how they make yeast. They would you talk to these big companies, big French companies that, that make the yeast? Mm-hmm. This is what I know about yeast. Out of fifteen thousand strands of yeast. There's only one strand of yeast that will make that bread rise up. Correct. And come real light like Correct. That. That's that ceviche. Okay, but we and had they bread. Use it in everything. But we had bread in human civilization for eight thousand right. years. And that's why the bread. When you go back to the Romans, they would scrape the bottom out of the wine bins and use the yeast in there. Maybe. No, that's what they knew they did. You remember how the wine would come in these big clay jugs? Yeah. And they, after the wine was out, there'd be bacteria down the bottom. They would scrape that out and use that. They had some kind of, but it wasn't going to come real light and Yeah, but big. you still, no, but you still had to mix flour and water together and ferment that and make a starter culture. Well, it, it, it won't come nice and light. And yeah, well. Listen, I, I, I did all my experimenting with that. When they say sourdough, Bottom line is, all you're doing is taking a piece of dough from yesterday and throw it in today's dough. Sort of. Yeah. So it, it's, but it goes right. back to what you explained. Yeah. So when you when you make a starter culture of any kind, um, you're creating lactic acid. Also, when you take a dough, even if you make it with like straight up yeast. Right, as long as you're not putting too much, yeah. you're you're creating lactic acid. Now, lactic well, that's not the only is. There's actually three there's acetic acid, there's lactic, lactic and acid. There's one other one. Okay, so I just these, got done reading these, an article about that. Here's the latest thinking. Hey, hey, let me finish real okay, quick. Go ahead. So, so these acids, what they do um, is they create starch resistance, right. which lowers the glycemic index of the bread. Okay. And then there's uh, the scientific consensus isn't really consensus about this but i use common sense for certain things where they don't have consensus and it seems pretty obvious that when you make like a well-fermented product that you're breaking down the gluten you're allowing more um nutrition and i mean but just alone where there is consensus where you're bringing down the glycemic index so you're not getting blood sugar spikes when you're eating these products is definitely a very important thing the problem that happened in the for a hundred years with mass produced bread is sometimes they put so much yeast that your the yeast load is so large that you're creating bacteria or you're creating carbon dioxide before you could create the lactic acid and these other things. So you're like aerating the dough instead of fermenting the dough. And now the the glutens and all the the nutritional content isn't being made readily available. You're not bringing down the glycemic index. So the glycemic index on breads that when you just throw a block of yeast in is higher than pure sugar. It's less than high fructose corn syrup, which is a hundred out of a hundred. But and Where that's no all good this for information? you. Uh, science. So glycemic index. Where did you index- study all that? Out? 
uh, books, internet, uh, well, a lot it of all different things. Interesting. Yeah. It's well, it's it's it's. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot. The of glycemic index saying. stuff is yeah, very. I understand about glycemic. Yeah, index. it's very well understood because of diabetics. Um, so it's something that's really really studied and the information's out there some of the stuff with bread like when we talk about digestibility and stuff like that like there's no money in studying that there's no money in taking hard looks at it so like a lot of italians that's a hot word in italy right now they're like so, okay digestibility yeah that's but what, what i'm it, using it what does it really mean um does it mean that you're breaking down the glutens to a level where your body can easily digest it um I mean, it makes sense, you know, kind of, you know, off the top of your head. I'm not a fucking scientist, yeah. though. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I don't know. But, like, I mean, I can look at a dough that you throw a block of yeast in and you put it in the fridge and you take it out the next day or you leave it out and you can open it up and you can see the actual gluten and you can see, yeah. like, that it's broken down based on, like, fermentation and hydration and be, those things are relative to each other anyway uh <laughs> well, I had, i'm glad you told me all that yeah. now that that gives me more things to pick around in my brain yeah because i already have a lot of things i'm gonna like that. you know what i want to do i want to get um them to you could get this is a really good book yeah modernist bread so this is like a five-part book everybody should have this book by the way modernist pizza is coming out soon Modernist Cuisine, not a fucking sponsor. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll talk to... We're, hold on. That was great, v Nino. We're, I mean, that, that was a lot of good in insight we're, there. We're good friends with them, but they, they don't really talk about that so much, but they talk about... Um, kind of a, uh, like a lot, a lot of different things. It's very, like, concise stuff when it comes to, like like where some of the problems are like not so much with nutrition they do get into nutrition but it's a really good like kind of you know back in the day well what did you you didn't have a supercomputer in your pocket so what'd you do yeah. you had an encyclopedia right yeah this is like a really good encyclopedia well, to, to have in your house my back in my day you went and you had to search out old timers and, and go pick their brains. Right. That's well, when I was it. a kid, even, we didn't really, I mean, we had the internet, but it didn't work that well. No. And nobody, nobody we really had it. Like, we did, yeah, my family certainly didn't have it. Like, I had an uncle who had it. I had two uncles that had it. Um, but, you know, if you were wrong about something, or no, if you were arguing on the street with a kid about something, and you were like, uh, uh, listen, the sky's blue because of A, B, and C. And he was yeah. like, no, it's blue because of D, E, and F. Yeah. The the right person would have won the argument. The person that was loudest that could get the most yeah. people on his side. And then what you had to do was you had to go to your rich uncle's house who actually had an encyclopedia set. Or you had to go to the library. Yeah. And then you had to figure it out. And by the time you figured it out and brought the information back... Everybody was like, what are you, a fucking asshole? I think, like, I think that was one, where Yogi, one of Yogi's famous lines. Go look it up. <laughs> <laughs> look so, at a book. So what kind of, were you guys like, when you were, what year was it that you took over the pizzeria? Okay, here's, this was the nicest story. Yeah, tell me. When I came back from the Air Force in 1979, mm -hmm. first I was partners with my father. And then he was working for me. Right, we, then we had that arrangement. Then he was working for me. Then after that, 
then he left and I then I took over so it was kind of like it was easy like there was no I remember when he told me to go down to the county and take out my license and I got a license that I took out from the county that when it became my business then he sold me the business for whatever so much money but it was never like he was my father God rest his soul Whatever he told me in his life was a God's honest truth, but I was too young and too stupid to believe whatever he was telling me. You don't believe that they're telling you the truth. Right. But I remember standing here, walking in the door with him one day, and he says to me, he says, son, we're going in to go to work one day. He says, son, he says, don't do as I do, do as I say. Hmm. Yeah. And then he also said, all these people that are knocking you for me trying real hard to start to get that business going bigger, he said, their lives are already ruined. That's right. why they knock you. Yeah, miserable. It's, it's, it's all about, everything was, with me, it ain't even about the money. It's about absorbing this Italian philosophy. Hmm. You know, I love the philosophy of the law because they have all these contravailing truths. The first truth is, that you do something, then they'll give you another truth while you can't do it. And then you're like stuck in the middle of right. these two truths. This will be a truth and that'll be a truth. And then you can't reconcile the two. So now, so now like you're in 1979 and he yeah. makes you a partner? Yeah. And then, um, so then we have to build up the business because he didn't have it big enough for the two of us. Uh -huh. So he was over there making the bread and then I was out, I had to go sell the bread and I help him make it. And then after we made the bread and I go sell it, then after that we came back and we started making pizzas because I wanted to make pizzas. He, was, he wasn't, wasn't doing the pizzas till that night. So I wanted to make pizzas in the afternoon. I realized it takes a lot more time and a lot more work to make the pizza than anybody thinks it does. It does. It takes a lot more time and it takes a lot more work than you think it does. Well, it's an a la carte thing. And I, I think I was, I think I mentioned this before yeah, where it's like with word. the bread, you're making the dough, you're shaping yeah. the dough, you're loading it there's, all up and then you're you, selling it throughout the day. And there's good money in bread too. But, That's what he told me. Oh no, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. But with pizza, you're waiting for an order to right. come in and then you so got it's a lot of service the final shape and then service the sauce, the service you costs money it. too yeah. it says you're not start charging them for the charging them for the product sure you're not making a hundred pizzas and right. then selling them and you're not charging you're not charging them for the service the service right. is like i got a friend he works in a restaurant you know what he shows me when he's in a fancy restaurant this is how he shows me at the fancy restaurant when there's no customers there's three guys standing by the door like this that's how they stand in the fancy restaurant holding the whip menu. And then when somebody walks in, boom, they get picked off the wall, go follow that customer over to the table. Right, 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 right. I mean, it's stone just like that. Sure. It ain't like nothing other than that. He's standing right there with his arms up against the wall. That's how they stand there. Right. Boom, three guys standing there waiting for three part, couple parties to come in. Sure, sure, sure. So when you say all the court, yeah. I, listen, I was so lucky. I got this guy. You got to see the review. He knows me since I'm six years old. He mm. was in the restaurant business. He owned all fine restaurants all over the United States. Now I guess he's retired now. He's too old to open another restaurant. He's in his 80s. He's been following me on Facebook. He gave me the most beautiful review. But I remember going to this guy's restaurant when I was six years old. And this guy's 
writing reviews about me now. Where where was the restaurant at? He had this famous restaurant called the Tally Ho in Union, New Jersey on Gallopin Hill Road. It's still okay. there. But it looks like from the outside, it's a historic landmark. They want whoever buys it, they have to leave it like that. It's a historic mm -hmm. landmark. But I'm coming back from the day when every single thing was made fresh from scratch at these restaurants. It's not like that no more. They have a lot of pre-prepared food. I could take you a place in London. It kind of hurts my feelings to see it, but they got a big factory. I don't know what it is, 200 feet by 200 feet, and they make all the five-gallon pails of everything that you see in all the delis and all the restaurants. It all sure, comes in yeah, the five, yeah, yeah. Whether it's potato salad, macaroni salad, a coleslaw, it's all made in this place. I don't care what they tell you. If you go to Jewish Deli, they made it. It's coming out of this factory, coming in a five-gallon. Yeah. No, no, no. You see that at almost every bodega in New York City. So when you, when you, like, what year did your father pass away? He's gone. Let's see. He was born in 1922, and he died uh, when he was 80. So. Was that 2000? And oh, so he was... So when you went parties with him in 1922? 79. He was probably 59, 60 years old. My father was such a beautiful So like guy. 2002? Yeah, he died in 2002. So, it seems like 10 years ago. But so you guys 20. were running the business together for like almost 22 years, 23 years. No, no, years. no, no. I came back in 79. By 86, he was gone. What, what are you going to do? Well, then he wound up driving the school bus. Okay. That's what he did because he couldn't do that... Listen, it was so sad because he only could work. A, he, he would still come and help me yeah, for yeah, like yeah. an hour here, two hours there. But he couldn't give you like a fi even five hours. Mm. But to sit there on his ass and drive a school bus he, or a school bus or a regular bus, he could do that. So then, so now we're in 1986. So that's how he's like that old guy Calamusa. When I saw you Calamusa, mm -hmm. you know what he told me? Two things. Number one, no standing around. And number two, you better do something about your pension. Because you're gonna ain't gonna have one when you retire when you work for yourself, right? Um, these are these are the hard facts of life. It's nice to have all that, but these are the things that considerations that you better take care of. Well, you forty years is gonna go by and you ain't gonna have nothing. Copy, copy, copy. Yeah. Um, so so when you take over or your father kind of like semi-retires in yeah. 1986 right. and are you still doing the bread or are you just like yeah, focused oh, on pizza I, now I, listen i love doing the bread i can't tell you how sick it is when i first came back in 1979 i was working 135 hours a week because i was 22 years old i could do it right i used to do what my father did that's how, how he and how many it. like loaves are you doing probably a Listen, it's 150? Uh, yeah, that's hard to do more than 150 loaves with that system. Right. If you had the right system, you could do 500 loaves like it's nothing. Those guys that have the big revolving oven, sure. that, that uh, guy I told you about Gambino, he had an oven like Santillo's had. And when I worked there for three, whatever it was, three and a half, I worked with this old guy, Uncle John. Uncle John ran the brick oven, and they had a system that each guy had to do four bags with the revolving oven. Now, four mm. bags is each bag you get 150 loaves of bread at. So you had to do 600 loaves of bread by yourself on a shift. That's murder. That's a lot to do. Make the dough, scale the dough, roll the dough, bake the roll dough, 
For you know how much we got paid? I have no idea. Forty dollars. Forty dollars for the day. To do all that. And then, yeah, that's. I could listen. It wasn't even minimum wage. I told you, why did I do it? Because I wanted to go. Hold on, we got to take a little break, right? We got like something. Something's going on. We'll be right back. I'm really sorry, everybody. We had like some uh, situations going on. Uh, Logan. who everybody knows, our 150-pound Rottweiler took a giant shit upstairs, and there were alarms going off, and all kinds of stuff happened. But we're back with the great Al, Al Santello, and I'm I'm super Psych. happy to be back. I just picked up a bunch of dog shit. Uh, that was super fun. Uh, <laughs> well, he's the, he's the he's the New York version of Josh Rogaine. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I actually modeled this whole thing off of Josh Rogan. I feel I get, Josh I get the vibe. <laughs> Josh Rogan, great, great man. We love we love Josh we Rogan. Love Josh, he, Josh he's Rogaine. the uh, the Johnny Carson Carson of this uh, of, of this uh, yeah. podcast thing that we got going on. So, all right, let's. We got your father up here. Yeah. So you took over the pizzeria and came in in '79. And then in '86, your your father more or less bowed out, semi retired. Yeah, yeah. Um. So now, are you just doing mostly pizza at this point? Yeah. 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 The, the, I'm I'm still making, trying to push the bread. Right. But remember, I was telling you, I was working 135 hours a week. Maybe by this time, I'm working, still working a ton of hours. You know? So what year is this? And where, where's this, what's this, this picture? Is, my father looks like he's 60 years old then. And, I, and okay. I got that freezer in the back. So that freezer, I know I bought that freezer at least 30 years ago. So what's 30 years ago? 30 Nin- years ago is 1990. 1990. All right. So then. So he still used to come in after, yeah, he was, you know. He was the greatest old man you could ask for. Right. He was the greatest old man. Rest Everybody loved him. They called him Shapey. They called him Sonny. He was one of seven kids. He was the youngest of seven kids. He didn't. Everything was all the time. Where he didn't get raised by his mother and father. He got raised by his older sisters. That's how it was that he passed that down. Mm. So his aunt Helen raised him, and his aunt Angie raised him. And then, when I was little, like six or seven, Aunt Angie used to come over. And before the place opened up in the evening, me and Angie, we used to cut the, the big bar of cheese. Remember, it comes like in a six-pound cuke. They right. the real name from cukes, the big bars. We used to cut them with a knife or the dough chopper into little cubes. Okay. And that, I, I must have been six years old. And that's when I remember first helping my father make the pizza. And you go, Tony, you go to Spirito's restaurant today, he still cuts the same way, the cheese the same way with the knife. Is Spirito still open? Cause Spir- Listen, here's the Spirito's yeah. is still open. He's asking like $2 million or something. Nobody's, you don't want to sell it if you're asking you want, $2 million. He's selling he sell the whole building and everything, yeah. obviously, right? Right. But nobody's going to buy it for that kind of money. Right. So, anyway, the, one of those Spirito's is my father's godfather. That's how we're like related, but not through blood. Okay. My grandfather, that was his hangout. They tell all the stories was, you know why they got rid of the, the white tablecloth tables? Tell me. Because when the boys came down to collect, they counted your tablecloths. Mm. So if you didn't have tablecloths, you were making a statement that you don't pay. Right. That's fucking interesting. <laughs> so hey, I, listen, I know there's a ton listen, of... Wait, I'm not telling you. It was a dollar a tablecloth. 
and they yeah. had enough manpower to have a guy there to to count you because they owned the linen company. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they know how many how many linen how many covers you did. So you got right. charged like a buck a cover. That was for whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't have the tablecloth, how were they gonna charge you? So, so for those who don't know, Speardos is like this yeah. old. How long has it been there? It's early like, 30s. Yeah, so like almost a hundred year old yeah. restaurant in Elizabeth. Yeah. It's one of the last. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, you know, that now never changed. Apparently, and did you used to go there when you were a kid? And not I, really. I spent a, no. I spent a lot of my childhood going there because they were a customer. Let me tell you this story. When I was first starting to learn how to make bread, I could make 50 loaves of bread at a time. That's the most I could do. It was like 12 or 13. That's when I was 13, I became fully fledged. I could do the whole 150 loaves by myself. So they used to call me up, make 50 loaves for Spiros on Saturday, make 50 loaves for Spiros on Saturday. So one time I got the phone call, double the order. They must have all been drunk. Spiros was busy. Make Spiros 100 loaves of bread. I burnt every loaf of bread in the oven. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Because I couldn't do 100. So so let me ask you a question. It's something I've always been really interested in, and it's it's really, really hard to, like, find out this information. But so when you got in, obviously you were around the pizzeria before 79, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was born in there. I, 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 do you remember, well, like, like, uh, like any different kinds of flour or tomatoes or cheeses that, you know that aren't, like, around anymore or yeah, something they, like that? They had this bag of flour called Zepp. Okay. And the big supplier was Metzendorf. And my father used to think he was a big shot like Metzendorf. And they both like to chase women around, but Metzendorf has more money. So this is how it worked back then. If you got too far behind on the flower bill, mm -hmm. instead of Metzendorf getting mad at you, he would charge you more. Say the bag of flour was $15. Right. You got behind $1,000 on Metzendorf. The flour became $16. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a pretty good system. Well, you, like, need the, listen, you need the flower. And, listen, and the guy was Metzendorf. You picked him on the phone, and you talked to Metzendorf. And you, you still owe the principal, right? Yeah, you still got to pay that you off. You still got to pay yeah. it off. Yeah. He's just going to bang you out. He's yeah. like, oh, no more flour for you. You homo, and well, you're paying more money. $16. Yeah, you're paying but more you, money. That's your vig. Yeah, so you, but you still bought it off at Metzendorf. Because you had you, to. Well, you didn't have to, but you had a loyalty <coughs> and a respect. You kept buying it off at Metzendorf. You could have got it someplace else and been a, a jidro. And what kind of... Like what kind of... Uh, what kind this, of flour? Was it high gluten? No, or? Here's what happened. They, they didn't have high gluten back then. They only had patent flour. I never heard about high gluten flour. Okay. I don't know when high gluten flour came out. Right. Might have came out in the like 80s. Like the General Mills All Trump. Yeah. Like that. I found out how they get the protein content so high. Mm -hmm. Just before they harvested, like not too long before, they came and they sprayed the field with nitrogen, and that ups the protein. Okay. They're not doing anything really wrong, but they're giving it extra nitrogen, which is a, a natural thing, nitrogen. So they give the plant nitrogen. Yeah, sure. And it ups the protein. Yeah, I know I know with um with Caputo with their Nuvola yeah. super that they just came out with. Because yeah. they they won't do any of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like they're like they're kinda like their company's like, okay, if we can't do it all natural, we don't want to do yeah. it type of thing. Yeah. Um so what they did to make it stronger, higher protein, to make it higher protein is they found a, um, 
it's weird because a lot of people like uh, there's kind of like a disconnect in the communication between Italy. So when I first asked Mauro and Antimokabudo, I was like, what did you do to this flower to, you know, make it work for New York style? Yeah. The Nouvelle Super, not the Americano flower, yeah. but the Nouvelle Super flower. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we, uh, we use fermented grains. And I'm like, so you take the wheat berries and you put them in a vat of water and ferment them? And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, okay, so you, you do sprouted grains? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, I don't, we're at a disconnect. Like what you're saying in English doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and what it is is they they have like a wheat supplier that harvests the wheat really late so during the rainy season so it's almost like i would call it like semi sprouted it's like not like a thing they leave but it on once, on the vine to the very last minute exactly they leave it out to the rainy season right before it's about to fall off yeah. so it's almost like germinating yeah. and that changed the complete chemical uh oh, wow. structure of I the actual grain well, you, you've heard of, like, sprouted grains before. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, you can so buy them like, in a supermarket frozen. Ezekiel bread. Right. I looked into all well, that. Well, think about it like this. So, like, uh, all right, you got uh, tomatoes, right? You got sun-dried tomatoes, and you got semi-dried tomatoes. And the semi-dried tomatoes are still soft. So it's like, I don't know. That's like a weird but maybe good analogy that everybody can understand well, you have to try it and see my father was a great baker the greatest baker i ever met he told me you judge the product by the finished product mm. and then he would show you how the finished product supposed to be then he would tell you there's more than one way to skin a cat so you could do whatever you want but if the finished product comes out great and number two you i'm under like the old fashioned rules where I can only change the product if I'm going to make it better. And right. that's really tough because a lot of times I like to change things, but I know I can't change them if it's not going to come better. So a lot of times, yeah. like, I mean, I'm stuck doing it the same way I've been doing it forever because I can't find a, better, a way to make it come better and change it. I definitely hear that. One yeah. of the advice that, like, I give people, like, today, like, if you've got, like, a... You know, if you got like a couple extra scrolls, I think, I mean, if you're really passionate about your craft, uh, you know, like I'm not rich or anything, but like, you know, I, instead of going to the baseball game and the fancy restaurant and buying nice shoes and nice clothes and nice cars and things like that, I spend my money on, you know, uh, things within my craft. So I just purchased like this very small, uh, spiral mixer that I could do one kilo of dough at a time, but it's the same as the giant spiral mixer that I use. I'm in, listening. Yeah, so now I could do like one kilo mixes, and I could play with whatever I want. I could, uh, you know, play with the hydration. I can use different starter cultures. I can, you know, do different things and 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 make it one at a time. And if it works, so I'm not wasting a whole entire batch. Yeah, it's able to be scaled up yeah. because if you try That's making true. a small batch with like a large mixer yeah. and then you try the same recipe with a larger batch it's going to be completely different yeah. you know what i mean it, and the flour doesn't always come consistent either listen the, the miller is very important right you have a very good miller 
he's he's before he does anything, he's blending those grains yeah. to come out with that protein level. One hundred percent. That all happens before he like. They'll, they'll take a grain that's 12% and 14 and a half and they'll blend it. They gotta, they're looking for that percentage number. You know, you know what they're talking about? You know what I found out? I found that about a while ago, but I did research on it. You know what clear flour is? Mm-mm. Never heard Google of that sometime. I'm going to Google it right now. Pull that <laughs> shit up. <laughs> you don't want to know what clear flour is. What is it? Tell us. It, it, it's, it's We're here. That, We're here to learn right now. Yeah, but it's something that you got to read up on. It's not, but it's, it's good and it's bad at the same time. It's like little guys are not using clear flour, but the big suppliers, like I was talking to these guys that are, all they do is sell flour. It's the, mostly all the big guys, when they're get, when they're making a lot of money, they start so buying clear I'm, flour. So I'm Googling it right now. King Arthur sells three pound bags of it. Okay. It says first clear flour. First clear flour is what remains after milling patent flour, giving it a darker color. Oh. What are you reading that? That's not what that was. No, I'm reading it on my phone. Okay. And higher mineral content. Traditionally, Jewish bakeries used first clear flour to bake their rye breads. The protein in the first clear flour, uh, the first clear balances the lack of gluten in rye flour because rye flour has very little gluten, yeah. and gives rye breads a loftier rise, better chew. Combine first clear flour with flours that typically produce denser loaves, like whole wheat rye spelt, and it will improve the rise of the final texture of the baked grooves as well as nutrition. It is a higher brand. It is higher in bran, ash, and protein than patent flowers. So it's like kind of like an additive. Yeah, no, there it's you go. flour. There it is, right it's there. Flour, right there. Well, no, but it's 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 uh, it's an additive in the sense that like you you wouldn't you wouldn't no, no, make it's a regular whole... flour. You know, you don't have it right. Okay. It's, it's flour in that big. You buy a bag of clear flour and try it. It's it's. It, it's 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 just what he's How telling much you. is this flour, Brady? Scroll down. What is it? Three pound bag. Three pound bag for how much? Say add to cart. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. It ain't cheap. So, yeah, but ten dollars for three pounds of flour. That's expensive. I mean, it's three dollars a pound. Yeah, it's more than expensive. Yeah. It's. But you just want to try it. So so to put that into perspective. It would be $150 for a 50 it's pound insane bag. Because you're buying a little bag online. That's all those. Like you go to that guy's okay, so let's Red Mill that or whatever. Okay. He's charging you top dollar. All right, dollar. so it would be you like know, I'm talking about that guy, Red Mill. Right. He charges, he's got good stuff. He's got a million different kinds of wheat, but he charges you a, a ton of money just buying a little bit. Go go back up to that, the, the top. You got to read up more on it. No, no, no. They're giving I want you to. their point of view on it. That's not the point of view that I got on is, it. Is the remains after milling patent flour. Right. So, yeah, look up patent flour real quick. Because I remember looking that up like a year ago. I know ago what, and what, flour, what is it, flour is flour that's 12% protein. I mean, I mean that's there's a little bit more to it than that. Well, no, that's the main thing. Then you could have, then they go by ash content. Right. Yeah. What, but what, the main thing, listen, what, when I buy flour... The main thing hey, I want to know is go. what the protein Bakers often use the term patent flour to refer to baking flour. It is high-quality commercial-grade flour, milled product with the innermost endosperm, 
of the wheat grain. The flour is low in ash and has a good white color and is the highest quality is called short or fancy patent. Yeah, but they don't tell you what the it's, they should tell yeah, you. Yeah, go down. Go, what is patent flour made from? So patent flour is pure, made from the endosperm. Determines. So I don't. Uh, I was always raised that they went by the percentage of protein. That's how I always bought it. And if they're not telling you there, then I don't know why they're not telling you that. It's talking about. It's saying that it's made from the center part of the no, endosperm. No, all flour is made from the endosperm. It's like no, a, but it's saying the center part of the I, endosperm. So not no, the whole entire. No, they mean the endosperm. Huh? They mean the endosperm. Well, the center part of the endosperm, I don't even know. Here, is King Arthur's special fat flour the same as bread flour? Is it made from, see, it says it again. Yeah, but center of the endosperm. You know, this is misleading. If they don't tell you what the percentage of protein is, this is misleading information. They have yeah, to give but that's the most important thing. Uh, 100%, yeah. but the percentage of protein, and, and then you have two types of protein. You got glutamine and glutamine. And... And the 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 percentage of those is going to determine like elasticity versus strength or something like that, and it's you know it's saying like look it says lower ash content than standard bread f flour because it's from the center of the endosperm. I mean this is something we're definitely not going to be able to get to the bottom of yeah, here. Yeah, not right there. But. I mean, people that are listening, um, well, and definitely comment in the yeah. things for everybody that knows. But I mean, I mean, I don't even I don't understand milling processes and like how do you separate the center of the endosperm in a fucking like little tiny grain this big from uh, this big the outside of from, the endosperm from the outside of the endosperm surrounding it like how would you even do that maybe there's like a sifting process that does that who well, the fuck probably. knows um, we could go take a tour what about the, like cheeses and stuff like what about it like were, were they different did, did oh, was everybody using this grande this I was trying to tell you yeah this, yeah, yeah tell me how first you gotta realize when pizza was first started, it was all by Italians for Italians. That's why Santos is the way it was, because I had all Italian customers, mm -hmm. and then the Americans learned to like it the way the Italians like it. They would learn the, learn the real way. Right. Then there's a thing that's called Americanizing or commercializing it to bring it mass appeal. Mm -hmm. So now, in general, the Italians like to taste all their ingredients, and they like spice. Now, when you talk about Americans, you're talking in general like sugar, fat, and salt. Mm -hmm. Those are the main three things that you got to give them. This is just a fact of life. You give them those three things, you could become a millionaire. You don't have to give them oregano. You don't have to give them pepper. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm just trying to tell you, if you want to make a lot of money and commercialize the product, that's what you got to make. Now, Italians, everything has to be made from scratch, with all fresh ingredients, with simple ingredients, but it has to be made from scratch every day. That's what I do over there every day. I start and I make everything from scratch every day. I don't have anything that's pre-prepared. Like, that would be a big no-no. If I want fresh garlic, I gotta cut up garlic. If I want onions, I gotta cut onions. If I want peppers, I gotta cut peppers. If I wanna roast them in the oven, I will. But I did. my father was a big stickler on that. There was two kind of pizza makers, even back in the early days. 
They, he called them canned pepper dudes. Mm-hmm. They would go, if you wanted, can, you wanted peppers on the pie, they opened up a can of peppers, and they still sell them to this day, and they put canned peppers on the pizza. Right. But my father was not that guy. You could even buy onions in the can. You could buy everything in the can. That's what they were yeah, using. Yeah, you could go to the grocery store today and buy anything in yeah, the can. same thing. So my father was the strictly was the re- fresh stuff. If he caught you with like a jar of minced garlic, you didn't. that was the last Those time you Those things are see. fucking disgusting. Right. So that would be the end of you if you got caught if with something like that. Right. So everything got to be made fresh from scratch or it didn't count. Mm. So that's how Santos. So what about there. the cheese, though? Okay, here's what happened. It was very interesting. When I told you Mike DeCosmo was the cheese man, we, I was in there every day because they sold bread in there. And he was making cheese. They bought the curd off Polio. Polio was the guy. This is what's interesting. And I'm proud to tell you this. When I was a kid, Polio, whatever the guy's first name is, and whoever them guys were, they made the rules on what cheese was going to be in America. Mm. Got it? Then, sometime in the 80s, I don't know when, the lawyers took over. Mm-hmm. Cheese got the, what cheese is is what the lawyers say it is. Now what it is is if you go to buy whole milk cheese, it's got to be between 2.76 and 2.99% butterfat because butterfat is what causes all the money. Milk right. is 99% liquid, 1% butterfat, something like that. Yep. So that's where all the money's at when they're mass producing and people buy 90% of the pizza guys buy by the price. They just pick up the phone, whatever one's cheaper, that's what they buy. They don't care if one is better than the other. I'm telling you what 90% of the business is out there. And even in New York now, the way New Jersey got picked for better pizza than New York, the real reason is you got more in general, not saying you, but if you go to an average pizzeria in New York, they're using... The pre-cut shredded cheese with all the extenders in there, mm-hmm. right? With that's why the cheese got that nasty, like liquid liquid comes out of there. That's the um, cellulose they put in the bag. They uh-huh. and they've been doing it for years. Like I, I cut my, I get my own pecorino wheel. I buy the wheel from Sardinia or, or wherever, like the Pecorino Romano right. fifty-five pound wheel, and I cut it myself and I grind it. That's what I put on my pizza. Like for my 64, that's a big seller. And that actually was how they made the pizza back in 64. I'm so proud today. I got my own cheese man again. I got that Lione Lantasini. I pick up the phone like I talk to you. They love me over there because they said, Al, you we love you because you don't, you're not a guy that buys by the brand name. You buy by the quality. I know how to shop for quality because I know that much about the ingredients. So when you go back to the 1970s, early 70s, Mike DeCosmo used to buy the curd off Polio. Then if Polio went on strike, they used to go on strike all the time. They, they couldn't get the curd to make his fresh mozzarella. Sometimes you couldn't even get the other cheese. They had the best cheese at that time. No more because they got bought by Kraft, and Kraft got bought by that other guy, um, Warren Buffett. So they're just about dollars and cents now. They're right. not about making quality no more. Polio used to be the best. No more. So now... What I'm trying to tell you in a nice way is Mike DeCosmo on the holidays would bring my mother fresh mozzarella to the pizzeria while my mother would be making the pizza. She would be eating the fresh mozzarella. Mike come over and says, listen, this, you don't put this on the pizza. This is for eating out of hand. Mm-hmm. Okay? So 
they even knew back then you didn't put that on the pizza. They put the other one that was called low moisture whole milk mozzarella, which was made by a different process. Okay. The, the fresh mozzarella, they made by the curd, just like you make the pizza. I used to go there watch him every day. He made it like in a sink with hot water while I was watching. Right. Then the thing that made it nice, that was the real treat, he would take it the same way you make bread and make it into little spoolettes or or, or dreches and he would twist it the same way he made the twisted up bread. And by him doing that and it aging like a day, it gave it like a certain... Uh, indescribable delectable taste so Just he by, would make the curd and then age it himself he didn't make the curd you had to buy the curd well he bought the curd but he would stretch the curd right. put it into blocks Just and like then you do see it these guys doing today yeah right and then he would and, but talking about certain people would hunt with a lot a lot of experience could make it better like i had a friend that his aunt made the homemade fresh mozzarella oh i still dream about that it was so creamy and rich even after i froze it and took it out of the freezer a month later it was still the best fresh mozzarella i ever had mm. but the guy's aunt made it at home i don't know what she did but it was very very creamy so somehow that's what makes the fresh mozzarella better it was a big i didn't use the fresh mozzarella forever because the issue was and still some guys do it they buy the fresh mozzarella that's not high enough in butter fat and then when they put it on the pizza, it leaves like a wet stain where the, where the, where the mozzarella is. There's like a wet watermark on there, and it grosses a lot of people out. Right. Now, the reason I, I found out how to get around that, it's real hard to do. If your oven is truly like as hot as like they claim it is, like 700 degrees or something, and you put that little round pie in there, even if the fresh mozzarella isn't as high in butter fat, okay, it's going to go in there, it's going to... It's going to go like that, and it's going to be okay. But the, but it's a ter certain technique that you got to have it down like that. And if you become too busy, it's like that little oven you have out there, but I did it in my oven too. But if you don't have the temperature recovered to the right heat, if you become busy and the temperature is not recovering to the right heat, then that, that if you're not going to get that effect. Where it goes. And it's a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. When it's done just right, it's great because I made it a few times. But the issue is I got to have everything all calibrated so that when I make it like that, it comes out perfect. And you do have to eat it as soon as it comes out because when it cooks that fast, as soon as it starts to cool off, all the water in there, you start to notice that it's watery again. Right. The water's out. They used to go, oh, you got to eat it before it cools off, which was true. But they were eating that fast, so it wasn't an issue. You were taking it real thin, putting that stuff on here, putting it, dropping it into that 700-degree oven. It would cook real fast, and you and you hurry up and ate it before. It was like out of this world. So, so now this is what Lioni does. I, I took the tour of his factory. He found a way to up the butter content in his fresh mozzarella bowl. And I right. talked to these guys like I talked to you. Here's what happens. There's food coloring all the cheese. They'll tell you. So now listen, they put well, this titanium dioxide or whatever. Which keeps put, the color. He calls it food yeah. color. He puts the food color in there. Now when the butter fat is higher and he puts the food color in, it it still stays kind of yellowy looking. Mm. But now if the butter fat's a little lower, it comes out of the same cooker. It comes in like a log, but if the butter fat's lower, then when they put the food color in, the fresh mozzarella is going to come whiter. And a lot of people, they buy with their eyes. So when they see it's whiter, 
they like that better because they don't know. They don't know anything about something you buy with your eyes. You buy right. it by the color. So they see it's whiter, and they buy it. It's just a natural thing. The biggest thing that drove my father nuts was when you were making the bread, and, and I swore to God it just to drive me nuts too. There was bakers. They would take a 10-ounce piece of dough, and everybody wanted that time bread. I don't know what chemicals they put in here because it wasn't just yeast. They could take it. One guy had a 10-ounce piece of dough. He could make the loaf of bread look this big, mm. okay? And But it was nothing in there but air. But the people, what? They bought with their eyes. That guy was making millions. You're taking advantage of people's whatever, their human nature. They sure. see the bigger loaf. They're not looking at that it says 10 ounces and the Santola loaf is 16 ounces and it's smaller and it's denser. They don't know. They just see a big loaf of bread like this for 99 cents and they buy it. And this is what the what the bread game turned into. Right. It's how big of a, it became quantity. Like you sold it by the pound, but you but the biggest thing was to go for was volume. So they could put an air pump on that. They Somehow that's what the chemicals do. I could tell you different chemicals that they put in there, but they make the thing blow up like this, and then once it blows up, it doesn't collapse. That's what the the problem with the patent flower. If you weren't running around there like friggin' out of your mind fast and didn't get that patent flower in the oven in time, it would go like right. that on you. That's what high gluten flour doesn't do. It's very forgiving. When you get high gluten, patent flour is 12% protein. If you, you only got, and then same thing, when you got the, the um, I had real good luck with all-purpose flour, but you, it's not forgiving. If you don't get the all-purpose flour in the oven at just the right time, and I like that nice light airy effect, that's one of the effects that I'm looking for. I've been around checking out a lot of other pizzerias. The guy makes this Sicilian pie a lot of, they're like this. They're like lead like that. They're, 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 right, they're not yeah, light and airy. You know, they're giving you a Sicilian pie. It's dense. Mm -hmm. That's not what it's supposed to be, Neapolitan. It's supposed to be light and airy. I got people like you that go around. They're my intelligences. That I got guys that they own electrical contractors. They eat at a different pizzeria every single day, and they keep coming back to me, and they make reports. They make reports, and these guys are from Italy, and they're, they're right from Naples, and they know what the real stuff's supposed to be. It's right. supposed to come light and airy. If my stuff don't come light and airy, then it disturbs me because that's one of the effects that I'm trying to create. I want light and airy. Yeah, like finding finding good Sicilians these days is uh, it's a big problem. Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, personally, I mean, I've looked at a lot of places and, you know, I've worked in a lot of places and I've gained a lot of knowledge since then. Personally, like, I think I could take you two blocks down um, my boy, uh, Santo, he owns a place called Fazio's two blocks away from me. One of the best Sicilian pies you'll ever have in your life. Right. right. But he uses the same dough to make the round and the rounds like, eh, men's immense. You know what I mean? Yeah. You almost, you need like a different dough to make. Well, here's you got to be a really good baker. When I tell the story, when I was on Fios, my father was Neapolitan, and his first partner was Sicilian, so they hit it off. Mm. The Sicilians, they usually make their dough thick and heavy like this, like a brick, because I know Sicilians that were making it. It was like a solid glob of dough. Well, they made the Sfacioni. Well, it wasn't Sfacioni, but a lot of the, I don't know what you say, but when I, when I used to go around, a lot of Sicilian pie was thick as a brick, 
and you couldn't even eat a half a slice because that's how heavy it was, like mm. solid dough. Sfincioni is really a Sicilian pie, but it don't have the sauce and cheese on it. Well, Sfincioni is like the grandfather of the Sicilian yeah. and the Detroit style like, pizza. I've seen it around. Not too many people yeah. making it. This well, that's what existed in Sicily yeah. because yeah, pizza didn't. So when people came over here, they saw pizza was popular. They took their yeah. Sfincioni right. dough recipe and they put... Right. Cheese and exactly. sauce. And that's kind of like what the focaccia is, like what that guy was making. You got to realize, in Italy, every town had its own way of making things. Every single town. Yeah. You could go to 100 towns, and everyone had a little different way of making it. Oh, 100%. That's what I'm saying. You got to judge it by the finished product of, of all the work that goes into it. But I know a lot, a lot of stuff about how the old timers did things, and that's why like, I became in love with the craft. Because I saw all the the hard work and knowledge and everything that went into what they're doing. It's just a shame that they, the Baker's Union paid your crap, and then the Mason's Union paid you three times what the Baker's were making, so all the guys got out of the business. Same thing today. All the, mostly all the Italians got out of the pizza business. They either went into upscale Italian food or they went into some kind of construction business or remodeling or something. They got out of that business. Right. Not many Italians left in the pizza business in general. Yeah, no, that's that's you know definitely facts. But yeah. there is there is a large number of kids that are taking over their families' places in the tri-state area that are they're reading not and trying to get better. Not trying to disagree with you. I'm talking in general. Like a lot oh of no! In guys, general, like they got yeah, out of the yeah, no, no, tons of people got out of the business. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a contingent of um, the, yeah, you know thirty year old kids that yeah. are taking over. I see them around, yeah, yeah, and not yeah. all of them are going back and reading the books either. Some of them are just doing it. You know, they they they're fo- I I know a lot of them personally, and like. I know at least half of them, their fathers were like, yo, you, you no, you're not taking over the pizzeria. You're, you're going to go be a cop. You're going to be a city worker. Yeah. You're going to be this. If you want the pizzeria after you get your pension, yeah. like, come get it. Yeah. And, and that's a that's a thing in Italy, too. I don't know. Have you ever heard of uh, Gino Sabilo? Yeah, I heard of his name. Yeah, so, I, I mean, he was one of the most famous pizza makers in Napoli. I think, I'm pretty sure that's his story, is he... Um, he joined the Cabinari, which is yeah, like the, the state police. Yeah. And then once he got his pension, he took over his father's pizzeria. Because when he came of age, his father wasn't ready to retire. And I know a lot of guys in Williamsburg, at Bettsonaris, the Gravesend. Whether And it doesn't matter, not just the pizzeria, but maybe the family has a pharmacy. Maybe yeah. the family has a pastry shop. Maybe yeah. they have a construction business. But by the time the kid turns, you know, 18, 19, 21 years old, the father's already retired, yeah. so they'll go work for sanitation. They'll go become a cop. They'll go they'll uh, help them over MTA, there. and then they'll help once in a while. But by the time 15 years goes by after that, in a lot of cases, now the father's ready to retire. He's got a pension. And he takes over the pharmacy, the pizzeria, the bakery, the pastry yeah. shop, the, That's the a nice concrete. Move. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, I've seen it even go down in Italy. What about... um? I mean, we were just talking a lot about cheeses, oh, but like, where did you order it from back then? You you were talking about this guy. Oh, listen, this guy, the Cosmo, dairy. But where else? We talked about him. Okay, where else the, did you order? The, well, the Cosmo was the guy that he would got, make it for the Palio. You said Palio would deliver to him, and then he would bring it to us. Oh, so you would get like the low motion from Palio? From yeah, yeah, yeah. That's got it from like Mike through. The Cosmo. Okay, I got it. That too. And that went on for a lot, a lot of years. 
And then after that, they would be like regular distributors, but they kept getting you to Polio. Polio was the number one brand. It was always this. This became like down and dirty. They would, Polio had Jersey cows. They mm. gave you better milk. Wisconsin was that other kind of cow, the Holsteins. Right. Just gave you more milk. So there was like always oh, a battle who had the better cheese. I always favored the New York State cheese over the Wisconsin. I could tell the difference right away between New York State and Wisconsin. Now a lot of cheese, California might even be the biggest producer. A lot of cheese was coming. Definitely still Wisconsin. Our producer yeah. is from there. Woo-hoo. I don't um, know if Wisconsin's number one anywhere. California might be. But, um, uh, I fact I check that, Brady. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they are. Yeah. Uh, see, I think California's the number one. Cow, uh, milk, cow, uh, much the uh, pizza cheese. But I know I, I, I see like those ads all the time for California. Yeah, I don't prefer their real cheese. milk. Yeah, I don't prefer theirs. I've tried it. They always find a way to adulterate it. Even in California, if it tells you organic, 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 mm. don't. I, I'm still it. getting Wisconsin for cheese. Sorry, Dan. Okay, interrupt. who's number two? California. I would. All right, so it's uh, close yeah. competition. California number two. Yeah. Wisconsin, like, they, like, live and die by that shit. No, but I'm saying, for a True. while there, California was neck and neck with Wisconsin. Mm. And they I mean, Wisconsin. I, yeah, I, I remember yeah. that. Huh? I, I recall that, yeah, they were always trying, but... Yeah. They were yeah. always trying. He's, he, the, he's from Wisconsin. I know. That's what he, he's probably going to... Bro, he's you know what? Spin you know why? Over hey, you know hey, what? Hey, <laughs> I, I can prove it. I can prove it. I'm he's not just, I'm not just lying. I'm you not know just, why? You know okay. what? Because, like... You know, knowing knowing Brady, our producer, as long as I have, like uh, when I bring up cheese, he's so familiar he just took it with away. it. I was trying to read it. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's so familiar with cheese and has nothing to do with cheese in his life, but like just because of where he grows up. It he, just tells he, you the second largest producer, but Wisconsin, two and a half billion. Well, so pounds. right here, look. Oh, what okay. is that? What is that That's, say, Brady? I don't know. Number one's California. Oh, I don't can't read it. I can't either. Hold on, yeah, there it is. I can read it. California. Oh, you only two million to three million. Oh, California's got a. Wisconsin took that seriously. They went. Yeah, that's right. California's got a. uh, They got a million ago. New York's doing pretty good though with eight seventy. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, New York's definitely coming up. Well, New York has had over the past fifteen years, they've had a real explosion in small farms. That's true. You know what happened? You know what happened? I do know what happened. What Tell happened? me what you think happened. This is I know the people. Yeah. When when New York became the Rust Belt, mm-hmm. all these people that were living up there, they had nothing to do for a living. Right. So they started producing cheese. This is when. Well, whenever New York became the Rust Belt, probably 30 years already. When they be oh, when the you're, the you're talking factories. about in northern New York where yeah. the factories left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I, I've always uh, attributed, I know at least partially to like, you know, there's so many guys. Because it's not cheap to open a farm. Uh, no, no, I, no, no, without a doubt. No, no. And uh, there's a lot of guys that, you know, they made their money. In New York, whether it was on Wall Street, whether they were a lawyer, whether they were a doctor, and after doing it for 20 years, they're like, I want a simpler life. And they have the money and they dump it in. And then the dump of the money in and start of this five, they think it's going to be easy. And then it turns into something. And then, you know, I mean, there was a, a news article I read a few years ago that said, like, if you go back to 1990, there were 
200 farmers markets in the US and now there's over like 40,000. Yeah. You know, 30 years later. So in 30 years, we went from 200 to like 40,000. Actually, you know, fact check me because my numbers might be off, but I know it's something know crazy like that. Um, yeah, you know, like the farmers markets, you see them everywhere now. Yeah. So 30 years ago, and you were talking about them, they were around when you were a kid, you know, you'd have the little farm stand. But in the 1990s, you couldn't fucking find a farmer's market. You know what I mean? It yeah, was like right. impossible because everything. Not what they call a farmer's market. Today. Well, they got rid of all the. Um, they got rid of all the, you know, uh, the small farms, yeah. and, and yeah. that was a result of um, Nixon passing. Uh, they used to subsidize small farms, and then in I, I believe it was 1973 they passed a law where they started subsidizing. Uh, uh, big crops like corn and things like that I'm to compete speak. with Mexico. So the problem with that was was they um, uh, so there's 8,600. So yeah, okay. So I mean, my numbers were crazy, but increased from 2019 94 to 8,600 in 2000. So that's a you know over four times 400 percent increase. In 30 years, that's a, you know, a pretty big number for any uh, industry. But um, it's all all hard work. That's hard work doing that. Oh, it's 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 crazy hard work. Yeah. It's it's insanely hard work. I mean, if it wasn't as hard as it was, I probably would have already done it by now. I, but I I'm, remember, remember, I told you I was in the Air Force back in Texas, back in seventy nine, back in seventy five to yeah. seventy nine. My friends, they lived in that area, north of San Antonio, Randolph Air Force Base. Now that you reminded me, there was all these farms around, and when they had time off of work on the weekend, they used to help the farmer go and, and bale the hay. Okay. I could never, I was never strong enough to do that. These guys were strong enough to bale the hay and throw it up on the truck and stuff by hand, like 500-pound bales. Like, yeah, I could never do it. No. If I had to do that, I'd be dead. <laughs> Been there. You done How it? do you think I paid for my clothes in high school? Did you really? Oh, yeah, baling hay? Hell, yeah. Baling hay That's by work. hand? Oh, no, not by hand, but, like, we'd fucking have to stack them and stuff. By hand? Really? By hand, yeah. Yeah, you, that's, that's heavy you shit. Gotta, you gotta pick up, what do you pick them up with, like, hooks? Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, you would wear gloves if you were a bitch, but the... <laughs> right. Like, you, you just bare hand grab them and... And how much shows away? There were 50-pound bales, I want to say. 50-pound bales. Yeah. Oh, pounds. yeah, they, they make huge, yeah, yeah, massive bales, too. Like, the, those round bales get, like, yeah, yeah thousands of pounds really or something. Big. But, like, yeah, 50 typically 50 bales, pounds is what you do. them all day long. Yeah, yeah I remember going to uh, visit Shayla, my wife Shaylin's family. Um, she California. Lives, yeah, they're, well, they're from El Centro, California. And there's all these fields with, um, like, just grass, right? And I'm like... Oh, are those like sod fields? And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, what do you mean no? Like, I mean, they're just growing grass and rolling it up, right? Because you would see all the bales of sod rolled up. And they're like, no, that all gets shipped for big money to Japan wow. to feed the Kobe beef cows. Wow. So they, uh, yeah, they're like, yeah, that shit you buy at Home Depot? No, this is a different fucking thing. That ain't this sod. Is, yeah, that ain't sod. This is big money shit, they were telling me. I was like, all right, whatever you say. This, and you know what? That that hay, he might know. 
There's all different grades of that. There's high protein, low protein. For, not all for the, the cows to eat? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all different yeah. grades. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just like anything, you're going to have different yeah, grades of your... So what about tomatoes, Al? Well, the, it was always considered the California tomato was the best. Okay. And there's another thing I'm going to try to find out about. But that Lione, I've been leaning on him a lot because he's got the connections over there in Italy. But I've been trying to get to the bottom of this. I heard this one time, and I never got it confirmed. It's very, very complicated, the, all the subterfuge that goes on with the tomatoes coming from Italy. Mm-hmm. But I did hear that Italy is not allowed to sell tomato sauce in this country because of the competition laws. They're allowed to only sell tomatoes. Now, I noticed online I was able to find, like, little jars like that of tomato sauce, but nothing any bigger than that. What, already ground? You know, like, when you when you go to regular pizzeria and you buy, like, the number 10 cans of, of pizza sauce from California or wherever they're coming from. Right, like a 7-Eleven or a yeah, they mostly come tomato from magic. They mostly come yeah, from California. Yeah, Stanislaus mostly. But that's not the only place they come to. Like, New right, Jersey has I'm, a small market of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so whoever, if you're in Pennsylvania, they might can a few cans over there. Mm-hmm. But... um. Italy is not allowed by law to sell that over here. The only way you can get the 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 sauce over here is as a puree packed in with the marinara, t- with the San Marzano tomatoes. As far as I know, that's it. I've been researching that myself. Now, as far as the pizza sauce, California was always number one, and I'm very fussy about that. I could line up, this is how I was taught. My father used to get like three or four different brands, and then we would take like a little plastic spoon, and we would have this, Ferrara does the same thing, it's called cuttings, and then you taste them. Now, a lot of people don't know. Now, I'm very fussy about the pizza sauce, so I did, I don't want to mention the brands, but I did find one brand that doesn't have any citric acid in it. Mm. Most of the other brands do, and I did my research, and as far as I could tell, the citric acid is in there. There's the balance, the pH, because a lot of times tomatoes don't have the right pH. So, and I do more and more of my research. I don't know if this is all true, but this is just what my research is telling me. I didn't go and confirm it independently. That you can take, to say you got two truckloads of tomatoes. They test the pH, and they can mix those tomatoes up somehow so that the pH will come out right. They'll take some acidic tomatoes and some tomatoes that don't have enough, and then they can pre-blend them. Then you won't have to put the citric acid in there. And okay. I, I like that because I can, personally, I can taste the citric acid in there. It's a turn off. But if you don't know the taste for that, it's not going to bother you because you're used to that already. But they do put this other kind of stuff in. When you buy the tomatoes that are, like, pre-chopped already, it's something that's like one step up from citric acid. It's another kind of citric acid, citric nitrate, maybe. I don't because I don't mess with it, so I don't really have right. it on the tip of my tongue. But that's put in there to give it color and to keep the tomato pieces hard. And, okay. and I can taste that. That gives it like a metallic taste. That that that's like another step down in quality. Yeah, I mean. I have recently become a fan of the California tomatoes, but one of the problems is with the tastings um, is that uh, California tomatoes generally, 
um, I mean, the biggest companies, they actually add like a really, a lot, a pretty good amount of salt before they pack them. So if you're just opening the can and you're, you know, if you got like an Italian tomato and a California tomato, generally the, the California tomato is already seasoned when it's out of the can yeah. and the Italian's not. Right. So it's, you kind of got to like put that into perspective. You kind of got to like, instead of out of the can, out of the can, you should make like a finished sauce with your salt, pepper and seasoning and then taste it because I mean, think about it like... Are you talking about tomatoes or pizza sauce? Talking about cans of tomatoes. Oh, that are chopped up already? Hey, whether they're whole or well, chopped see, that's up. That's a whole other world. They have it all broken down into that. It, like, so, do I you understand it, what I'm saying, though? Yeah, California tomatoes are salted before they get yeah, put in the can, whether they're whole... I even taught a conversation with you once that when I was a kid, they put bay leaf in it, and now they put basil in. Yes. I used to... Now... Sometimes I dream about that basil taste. That's laurel is another word for it. Bay leaf, you like mean. Bay leaf. It has like a meaty taste. Yeah. That I kind of miss, that I'm craving, and I have to try to figure out some way to get that back in. I tried a bunch of times, and I really wasn't successful of getting that. Get some bay leaves. Well, I did do all that, and I did a bunch of things. I would take them and soak them in hot water to try to extract mm -hmm. the flavor and put them in but it really wasn't noticeable in the finished product. Were you getting, like, fresh bay leaves or, like, the dried I was ones? I the dried bay leaves. Yeah, try the fresh ones. You need That's to use possible. fresh ones. That's possible. Yeah, if they were packing cans with bay leaves, they were definitely using fresh ones. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, but were there, like, any brands out there that you remember that, like, aren't around today? They, there was brands that they were there, they went out of business, and somebody brings back the name. The famous one was Flota. Okay. F-L-O-T-T-A. That was the best. Flota was like the top of the line. Then the guy that had Flota died. Flota went out of business. Then I noticed it came back for a while that there was a big supplier over in New York called Ferro Foods, F-E-R-R-O. And then I think he went into... He merged with some other company now. I maybe wrong. Not Ferrero, different one. F E R R O. Okay. He was, a, he was really good, Pharaoh. He got good stuff, man. But whatever happened, he got absorbed by another company, Pharaoh. And uh, but he had the real good floater brand. Right. So I don't. I get that was another California tomato. But the big one that goes back to like when my father first started, and this is I find this so interesting. When they first opened up in 1957 or whatever year my father was making pizza, I don't know if he taught my grandfather taught Spiritos how to make pizza or they told him. That was the argument back and forth. Cause that's how Italians are. I know my grandfather taught you. No, my grandfather taught you. So even long ago, nobody knows. But they used to take one case of Susie Bell puree and one case of full red pizza sauce, and they mixed them. Because it depends on the Italians where you're at. The Italians in the vicinity that where we're from, they wanted puree. They didn't want to see no tomato seed in there. They didn't want to see no mm. piece of skin. They want a puree on their pizza. So I don't know what the reason was, but they would mix one puree and one full red pizza sauce. And I don't, I, I, only certain people are going to hear this, so everybody ain't going to know. But that's the recipe of Spiritos, and that was the Santilla recipe. Then my father found this floater guy, and he liked it, 
and all the customers liked the floater, so he went to just using straight pizza sauce, and everybody was just as happy, and he didn't have to go and, and mix the two kinds of pizza sauce, number, the, the, the puree. Right. But now I ran into people that the guy was telling me he's from somewhere in New York. I don't know what's Long Island, but they buy all the kind of pizza sauce that's got the little tomato chunks in there. Now, when I tried that, all my customers flipped out. They don't want to have no little chunks of nothing in their sauce. I heard about it from a bunch of people. So that didn't work in Elizabeth, New Jersey, craft. So not saying there's anything wrong with it. Now you got to go by, like, what your customers are thinking. If they, they had little chunks of tomatoes in there, they were totally against it. They didn't want to bite into some little thing, that they, chunk or something, that they didn't know what it was. But it was like the tomato with the little chunks in it. There's... Some brand, I don't know if um, Bonta makes it or whoever makes it. Right. That make it, but they're little pieces of tomatoes. Sure. So, that's, so, you know. so what's, uh, what's, uh, you've been in the business now for all my life. All your life. Yeah. A lot, a lot of years. Yeah. It's like 50 years. I can't what's next it. for Al Santillo? Well, right now I'm open three days a week. And mostly because I told you I hurt my shoulder. And I'm burned out from that COVID. They had me working double and triple shifts for like, well, first that bar stool came. That right. was, I'm only one baker over there. I told you how my operation is. But it's crazy. You never, when that place was super busy from the time bar stool came to just like the like about a month ago. Right. So it all hit me at the same time. The shoulder injury, same my father had the same shoulder injury. I'm totally exhausted. Today's like I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better today. I came over here. I don't feel too bad. But uh, so now I'm open three days a week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm making enough money to get by. All my bills are paid. The building's paid. The house is paid. So as long as I got my health, I'll try to do the three days as long as I can. Maybe I'll get lucky. One of my kids will come back, and he'll want to opened the place up a couple week days a week. I got my fingers crossed. So only certain people that you can let over there. Right. Because you have to have ownership interest. You got to really. Absolutely. You can't go over there. And no matter how many times I tried it with outside help, they're not going to do what they got to do. They'll start sloughing off whether they know, because they know what they're doing or they don't. But you got to constantly, like Vito Calamusa said, there's no standing around. Right. You ain't reading the newspaper over there. Right. You're either making the dough or making sure that everything's ready. My father was so proud because he was doing everything at a high state of readiness. My father was in World War II in North Atlantic. Mm -hmm. He raised me, man. You don't know this guy was in World War II. You know what happens if I didn't get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go make the bread? Came and dumped your, dumped your bed out. <laughs> dumped you onto the floor. He went yeah. upstairs. Listen, he... Uh, he weren't escaping. Him. Was it was it messing around? Yeah. And, and and if, if mommy complains, she got some too. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like that. Hey, the mother was protecting you. Yeah. They, they was they had all these customs. Once the boy was five years old, they cut the apron strings. You went with your father. Right. That's it. Now nowadays they don't cut. They never cut the apron springs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Back then they cut them. Now you go with your father. Yeah, you're going to get your that's calzone it. broken. That's it. So then I went with him, and that's when he started treating me like a man already. When I was only about six or seven, I used to have to go sell bread door to door. I had a little red wagon that I used to put a box of bread in, and I had a root. I only was allowed to go around the block. I knocked on every single door 
And you know how much I got for selling a loaf of bread? Penny. Penny. <laughs> That's what you got. I don't even understand how yeah. that works. Yeah, you got a I'm penny. really fucking dumb. Yeah, you got a penny a loaf. So. And you say, 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 say if I sold 30 loaves of bread. Got thirty cents. That's that's fucking crazy. How do you survive on that? It wasn't a, well. I was only like ten years old. Yeah. But I'm saying that my father had. Oh, a, you would make a penny. Yeah, I got a penny. My forefather, he he had to really work hard. Like that big loaf of bread, that big round loaf of bread like that. He was only getting thirty five cents for that. He wasn't happy getting thirty five cents for that big loaf of bread, but that's all he could get. Yeah, but even when I, you know, when I, I I go to a place like an old school place and I buy a sabalita roll for two dollars, and I'm like, how the fuck are you making money on this? Like, yeah, this is it? uh, you know, crazy. Is it worth your time? No, yeah, a hundred percent. Well, then, but now you got guys that are, you know, they're making uh, ten dollars a loaf. Well, so now all of a sudden, I'll bring it to them. He only got three dollars and sixty cents for his big ram bread, three fifty, and I guess I bought a semolina twist. It was three dollars and sixty cents. He got good stuff over there. I, I bought you his Torellis. Look up. Uh, wasn't crazy about Brady. Pull up a uh, Bushwick artisanal bread, and the place will come up. Okay. So this is right down the street from me. This is across the street from a White Castle. This place. It comes down to low. Location, location, location. Obviously not, because this place is across the street from a fucking White Castle. Yeah, but I'm saying it, it's, the location's got to be doing something for him. No, the location's terrible. Well, then how's he getting these customers for $10? Because he, he's the only guy that has a product in the neighborhood, and people are fucking traveling. Well, that's the, then that's the location. It's not. No, 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 Al. I'm, there it is right there. No, the location, out. Listen to me it's when I tell you. Location. It's a terrible location. It's a terrible location. It's out of the way. Uh, for me to go over there is way out of my way. How far is it from here? I mean, it's not that far, but you know what I mean? It's out of the way. It's not where I want to be, you know? Yeah, go to the website. That's the wrong place. That's the place. No, that's not what you just said. You said Bushwick Bakery. No, I said, no, I can't say the name of it. Oh. <laughs> So, oh, like I, I can't this baker. guy, he was a, uh, here, go oh, to, uh, baker? yeah, well, he was like a banker. So look, 7 a.m. So oh, he's it. selling, uh, go down. Let's see if they have the menu here somewhere. So they sell, so that loaf, loaf, look, go up this one right here. Yeah. That's like 14, $15 nice. go down, go down. The croissant, I think, is like five or six bucks. Well, good for, for the him. Look. I'm happy. Yeah, they sell out every single day. This is like the new way because people, they... Listen, it's worth it. You got to pay, pay. For the guy's time. Go There's down. a lot of labor involved. Take some All money. right, so you see the baguette? Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure the baguette's six dollars. And then go down and see if there's they another person. must be saying something like lying. That's the guy? Me. That's the guy. Yeah. Looks like you learned in France. We got well, one guy he, like that he was a banker, Jersey. a banker, yeah. not a baker, but he had a banker. To go somewhere to learn. He learned, yeah, I see. So go all the way up, go up to the Instagram. Yeah, or it's right really there. Hard to put that Let's see if we can find, like, uh, go to the, just type on the Instagram on the top. Oh. Yeah, I see. No, no, no. Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Yeah, see if this pops up. Oh, it just brings us. Oh, it just brings you to it. 
Can we? Well, go go to Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Now go to. Can you go to his main page? Can we see like the pictures? Yeah. Uh, go back. Go down. Go down. I think it was that. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, go. Go to this one. Right. So this is like a a batard. Yeah. I think you call it. Okay. So amazing. No commercial yeast. No tricks. So that loaf right there that costs between ten and twelve dollars, depending on if I have seeds or not. And it's it's small. It's only this big. But it's 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 nutritious. It's healthy, and people are willing to. Uh, no, no commercial yeast, no yeah. fresh quality ingredients. Amazing customer, bakers, teamwork, and time. And time, yeah. Fagan, flour, yeah. water, salt, bread. Well, those are just yeah. Those are hashtags. It looks too expensive. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. definitely worth the try. It looks good. I mean, they sell out every day. You know what I mean? I'm I'm around like said, the neighborhood. Italian guy is selling a loaf of bread twice as big as that. Probably just as good for three fifty. It's not just as good though. I don't know. It's what could it's, he possibly be doing to make it better? Well, than that? I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about like the nutrition and and, and like well, the lactic acid and the low glycemic index. It, if you yeah. if you make a dough right, and you put a ton of yeast in it, and you're baking it within like three to six hours after you mix the dough, you can't create lactic acid. I'll tell you something off the record. Yeah. I can't tell you here. Okay. But as, as, All right, we got to get it, the it, fuck it, out it, of here, yeah, by yeah. the way. It comes down to two things. Well, I hear everything yeah. you're saying. I don't like to overproof the dough because that's called the hot load. Yeah. But it comes down to when are you going to eat it and when is the product going to meet the oven? And you still want to have a good desired result. When right. are they going to eat it? But as far as the, the basic recipe that I was taught, if the dough rises twice as a baker, you're done. Now, mm -hmm. if the dough starts overblowing on you, that's another issue. You can go back and you can pat the dough down or you could take a dough docker and dock it again. Sure. Putting that yeast in there. But if you cut your yeast in half, it's going to take maybe not double the time but almost double the time to rise if you but cut it in half that's again talking about your dough management right follow me there's it's and that's when i tell you about the finished product but the things that i'm trying to tell you they're kind of secret like mm. baker secrets and i don't really want to blab them out to everybody because then everybody will know my secret right but i know how to manage my dough and i know what i'm shooting for and I don't know if my father, God rest his soul, would be happy if I told everybody that. Well, on that note, we got to get the fuck out of here. And guess what, motherfuckers? I'm getting the secret. How you doing? It was great having you all. Thank you so Nino much, wants the I know secret. we're getting a fucking... I'm getting the fucking secret. You're in Brooklyn right now. <laughs> You're not leaving until I get the secret. Nino wants the secret. <laughs> but we'll see, uh, we'll see you all later. And thank you so much, Al. We're definitely having you on soon. Also, uh... One more thing. Let me get the, yeah. Let me get the. Nino stood right double. there. Let me do the double the secret out right. of me. All right. Why? So listen <laughs> up. Listen up, people. All right. Now put the camera on me again. Put the camera on me again. So listen up, people. And then and then you're gonna switch it out. Listen up, people. If you want to see me and Al go to all of his old school friends' places and make videos of these fucking uh, old timers. I'm gonna call them the Gabagool Crow. Okay. From from fucking Jersey. 
Comment, like, share this thing, write us, let us know you want it, and we're going to get it done. I love you, Al Santillo. And we're fucking out of here. Bye-bye, everybody. We'll be back. Don't worry. We'll be back before the sun rises again. Facts. That was good. That was like the best ending we've ever had.